Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. With the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again, and we are here to talk all things WWE on the continued road to Hell in a Cell, which is 12 days away from the time we tape this podcast pretty close back to back with the most recent WrestleMania Backlash Premium Live event, which is causing some issues for WWE that we are going to get to throughout today's show as we break down everything that happened this week across SmackDown and Raw. With me, as usual, vintage Chris Benini. He will join us in a moment, but you know I need to begin any episode, every episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast by reminding you that this show, now and forever, So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Tell people why you love the show, why you listen every week, and why you are subscribed. Tell them that they should do the exact same. We appreciate every single time we get those five-star ratings and reviews. And every time we get one of the reviews, we read them here on the podcast as we have recently. No new ones that have come through this week. But I'm not concerned about that because I know that some of you out there, given how many are listening and how many reviews we have, I know there's a wide gulf. and I know some of you will be leaving those five-star reviews this week that we can read on the show next week. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We have a pretty big uh, series of shows coming up for you here on Getting Over. This week, we have the AEW Double or Nothing Ultimate Preview on Thursday, along with instant analysis of that show on Sunday. Next week, we are going to have our WWE Hell in a Cell Ultimate Preview, along with WWE Hell in a Cell Instant Analysis after that pay-per-view on June 5th. So what that means is each of the next two weeks, you are going to get live shows for free on Twitter spaces about 60 to 90 minutes before those pay-per-view slash premium live events begin. All you need to do, follow us at Getting Overcast. And the day of the shows, again, about 60 or 90 minutes before they begin, we will do a live pre-show where we break down everything that is about to happen on the card, what our expectations are, and certainly how we believe AEW this week and WWE next week will move forward after their big shows. But the first way to make sure that you hear that commentary is by joining us, following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We also tweet about wrestling all week long. And every single time we have a new episode, we drop it first on Twitter. Once again, at Getting Overcast. Chris, welcome officially to the show. We're going to get right into it today. Um, Look, here's my spoiler alert for this episode of Getting Over. WWE has one major storyline right now. And to give them credit, they're hitting on all cylinders. I mean, there, there were definitely some struggles, uh, some absences from the main man, Roman Reigns, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, recently, the last few weeks, they've just been absolutely crushing the Bloodline storyline. Most of the rest of what we got across WWE this week, uh, it left a ton to be desired. Very disappointing booking top to bottom, particularly on Raw, which we'll talk about later. Uh, Greg Heminger, uh, at Heminger Greg on Twitter, he wrote in, he said Raw was repetitive and killed some good momentum the show had built as of late. 
And I think that is really the best way to put it. We've been relatively bullish on this show about Raw, at least compared to SmackDown. This week, SmackDown to me felt like the better show, but not by a huge margin, just because it had the Bloodline storyline. And really, Raw, I mean, they mentioned it, but it it wasn't a big part of the show. Uh, So for me, this was one of the most disappointing Raws of the entire year. Not so much saying that it was objectionably bad, more just it wasn't very entertaining. Yeah, I think the the floor of Raw is is higher. There's there's not a ton on the show that is absolutely horrible. Frankly, SmackDown typically has had more of that mm-hmm. over the past few months. But, you know, we come on here every week and we say, it's just both shows are missing a world championship picture. And Raw had one major storyline for the last few months. It was RK-Bro. And it was a good storyline and we liked it. But it's it, it was the only major, major thing going on. Now you take that away from this week's Raw and you got nothing. It's a whole show of mid-card. And so it's not terrible, but it's not good. But it's a whole show and, of mid-card where nothing new is happening. It's the yeah, same. Yeah. It's the yeah. same storylines that we had last month. Still going on with rematches on TV, short rematches at that, building for rematches at Hell in a Cell or or a match to finally happen in one case at Hell in a Cell that we haven't gotten yet, but really we should have gotten already. So it's just like the same thing every single week. And at least some weeks it was super entertaining where like you knew that you were going to end up at the same place, but on the journey, you'd get a really good 15 minute wrestling match, which is what we got in one case last week. This mm-hmm. week, they did a rematch of it. It was three minutes and terrible. So like mm-hmm. even where you could hang your hat on, hey, at least the show was entertaining. This week, it was just, it was all shit. It, it was, yeah. the, the whole broadcast was just really short things just to kind of move the storyline and get to the go-home show. And that's not good. No, and, and we're in a spot where a lot like Backlash, it feels like they're largely just biding time before all the stadium shows of the summer. We once again yep. aren't going to have Roman Reigns on that show. He's not in any sort of feud, or at least he, he won't be in a title match on that show. At least he may not be on the show at all. He, he has nothing going on, again, that directly involves him. And now you've got unified titles, so there isn't a storyline to move forward there. You look at what's on the Hell in a Cell card right now, and you're like, what are we doing here? Like This is this is an episode of TV, essentially. Yeah, it's it's four matches, all from Raw. One title match that, I mean, I'm looking forward to it because it has three great wrestlers in it, but it shouldn't be happening. Like, that's the one match that wasn't scheduled for this show. Um, And look, it's a B-level pay-per-view. We all know that. But it is still in Chicago. So, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's one thing to have a a more minor show without an, an exceptional card. That's really what we got at WrestleMania Backlash. And that show exceeded expectations. And extremely over-delivered. I mean, you and I were thrilled with what we got, at least from a wrestling standpoint. I was even more bullish than you. I thought it was just a great show, the way it was booked top to bottom. I I, I did not think it was a great show. but No, but you were entertained. But yes. you were entertained by yeah. it. Yeah, yes. yes. So, so, so that's, and that's okay, right? Like, as long as these shows are entertaining and, and pay things off, then it's good. But it, it didn't really pay anything off. And here we are a month later, and we're in the same situation, except it's the same matches that haven't been paid off that maybe we're going to get payoffs because it's going to start new storylines ahead of these four stadium shows that you just mentioned. 
and look, granted, I don't totally blame WWE for like holding back a little bit ahead of having four major stadium shows where you know you're going to have to book really compelling, stronger matches and storylines. You want to save uh, title challengers. I get that, right? And, you know, missing Roman Reigns having a title match on on one show, at least he appeared, right, at Backlash. You can kind of stomach it. But you think about all these fans that are attending Hell in a Cell and they think to themselves, well, this is WWE's, one of their signature pay-per-views per year. It's not a Backlash. We're going to get some fresh stuff. We'll probably get two cell matches. Right now, there's one. There's not a clear second. Um, it's likely, maybe, that no world title, no mid-card title, and no tag team titles are defended on the show, as things stand right now. What's this pay-per-view going to be? What, what's, this, what's the value of this premium live event? And then you think back, and you're like, you know what? It made sense that WWE kind of had like a six-week break between WrestleMania and WrestleMania Backlash. To do this four weeks after Backlash, it's not exciting at all. I'm, I'm really down in the dumps about this pay-per-view. Well, to your point, you said you don't blame WWE for maybe taking it a little slower before a the little slower. goes. Yeah. I, I completely disagree because they put themselves in this whole situation by having one unified world title and then not having that guy on the show. This is the period of time when you should do a Nakamura Roman match. You're not doing that at a stadium. This is the time when you give it is the time a guy... Yeah. This is the time you give somebody a title shot who you know is not going to win. This is when you give Cesaro his title shot. This is when you give somebody else and you just put him in a spot where, okay, everybody knows they're not going to win, but hey, give them a shot so they, they can say they got it. The crowd will be into it. Imagine a Nakamura Roman match in front of a Chicago crowd. But, like, but you know it, what it, else? You know what else, dude? Like, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yes, that should be on a B pay per view like this, but it could also be the main event of a SmackDown. Like, even if sure. you want to give Reigns off the pay-per-view because he wants the weekend off and he's worked it into his new contract, he's still going to be showing up on television. And they just gave us in the main event of SmackDown, which we're going to talk about in a moment, a unified tag team championship match. Now, I didn't love the match necessarily, but you can't argue about the stakes. It was significant mm -hmm. stakes. So why not allow Roman Reigns to defend the title against Shinsuke Nakamura on one of his scheduled television appearances? on the lead up to Hell in a Cell or maybe the show immediately after it, whatever the case might be, have this guy involved in a storyline, keep things fresh. You can have, you know, the Zane Nakamura thing factor into it, which is what I thought they were doing. It seemed pretty obvious that's what they were doing. And they just never took the next step where Nakamura has now said three times, Reigns, I'm going to get revenge on you and the Usos and the bloodline, but he's not getting revenge. He's just beating Sami Zayn and then not doing anything. So yes, you're you're right in general, whether it's at the pay-per-view or whether it's on the go-home show, Roman Reigns should be defending the title against someone. To have no challengers for this guy in two months across two brands, five hours of television, it's just dreadful. It really is. Yep. It's, it's more than anything, it's just a real missed opportunity. Uh, again, as we went into detail last week and every week, to put to, to to put the unified title on a guy who's suddenly not going to be on every week, and, and, and you could have a Raw and SmackDown World Title thing going on. E even if Roman's not there every week, if you had a Raw, if you had a, a WWE champion on Raw, you could just be doing something fun. It's just so strange to not to just actively not be trying to put on the most interesting thing you can can do. Chris, you could be in the middle of number one contendership tournaments. Yeah. Or qualification matches 
for a number one contendership tournament. Look, I, I'm sure they've got plans for the stadium shows, whether it's Cody, whether I'm sure it's they do. McIntyre, whether it's whoever. But I, that doesn't mean you can't do anything now. It's not going to take away anything to, to have a Roman Nakamura one-off at a Hell in a Cell. I just, it, they're, they're, they're just actively not putting out the best product every week and now on their pay-per-views as well. And I just don't, I just don't get it. It's very confusing. We didn't mean to talk about this now. Let's let's shelve this conversation. It is largely the first half of our double main event today. Let's shelve it. Before we get to the main event, there was one big piece of WWE news that kind of came out this week that we should discuss. Uh, Stephanie McMahon has taken a leave of absence as the chief branding officer of WWE to focus on her family. Uh, she also said that she looks forward to returning to the company that she loves, you know, when time permits. And I don't know, man, I've seen a lot of like, breathless analysis, I guess, is the best way to put it, like trying to figure out the situation. What does it mean? I I think some people need to remember not everything has to be some like deep need to know situation. Like I'm going to take a couple days off from work coming up and it's because my back is bothering me. I've never had a back problem before, but it's been bothering me. So I'm going to take some time off. Like, you know, not everything is some like catastrophic, cataclysmic, um, big to do. Stephanie, beyond being a businesswoman, is a mother of multiple children, a wife to a husband who just went through a dire medical situation over the last year. By the way, we reported last week on Twitter, uh, Paul Triple H has indeed returned to WWE full time, which is fantastic news. And she's decided to take an extended break for what I can only assume is the first time in like 23 years. I mean, she's been there since 1999 in the office. She started as an account executive, an on-air personality, a model, and she's worked like her entire career for her family's company, she's probably been burning the candle at both ends forever, but especially the last nine months with Paul, you know, injured, not injured, uh, uh, sick and recovering from surgery. She's probably been stressed to the gills. So good for her. I hope she gets the rest and recovery she needs, regardless of what the situation is. I'm not sure there's really more to say than that. And God forbid it is something more serious. I'm not sure it's really any of our business to know it, right? So it's not like we need to get into a whole succession storyline. Every time something happens with Triple H or Stephanie or Shane, like it's like everyone wants to talk about Nick Khan taking over the company. Nick Khan is a paid employee in a biz- in a business position right now. Triple H and Stephanie are family. Um, I don't see the value in talking more about it from that standpoint. If you have something to say, that's fine. But I just kind of wanted to say, you know, best wishes to Stephanie, Paul, Triple H. They've been through a lot. I want both of them healthy, happy, their family happy. And yes, I do hope that one day Triple H is the lead creative booker for WWE. But other than that, there's nothing else I want to say about like the wrestling standpoint of this. Yeah, when I first read it, I thought, whoa, Stephanie's leaving the company. And then I read it a second time and I realized it said, I'm going to come back, you know, when I'm yeah, leave when I'm ready, when I'm able to. Back. So, but, yeah. OK, like this isn't like a this isn't like nothing like this appears to be a Shane situation where she's going off and doing her own thing and just getting out of WWE. Like you said, they've had a lot of legitimately real life family things going on. You know, when I, when I covered the tryout in Dallas before WrestleMania, Stephanie showed up almost every day um, just to, to talk with people and be involved in everything. So she, she, she has been very involved in the company uh, like you laid out. And uh, unless there's something reported as to what it possibly is, there's no, really no need to speculate on, on any of it. Um, And it just, so seems legitimate that, she just needs to take some time away for, for 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 whatever's going on and she'll probably be back. So yeah, like Triple H, if Stephanie is leaving the company, 
right after Triple H comes back, that doesn't even match up like timeline wise. It's not like they're both getting out of the company or something like that. So, uh, right. Yeah, if, an, if anything, he's finally healthy enough to come back. So she feels like, oh, God, OK, I can take and like step away for a minute after a nine month period where like WWE's doing WrestleMania while her husband is retiring from the ring and yeah. recovering from heart surgery. Like, I mean, if, if there's ever a time to take off, this is the time, you know. Yeah. So, no. Yeah. Like you said, you know, it it was interesting for it to be an announcement like that. And I'm sure that's what got everybody kind of riled up as opposed to just quietly staying away. But yeah, (laughs) there's no need to speculate on any of it unless there's anything really out there. And you just hope everything's okay with her family. Exactly. Exactly. So hopefully uh, she gets the rest she needs. Hopefully Stephanie gets to come back to WWE uh, whenever she is ready. And as I said, great news that Paul Levesque, Triple H is back in the office full time. That is fantastic news from a health standpoint. So with all of that out of the way, Chris, let's actually begin the show by sliding into the main event. And we are indeed once again going with a double main event, Roman Reigns and the Bloodline, the first half. And yes, of course, Sasha Banks and Naomi, the second half. So Roman, Bloodline, they opened SmackDown. It literally took eight minutes between his entrance and him saying his first words. Rain said this night was not about acknowledging him, but about acknowledging the entire bloodline. Paul Heyman called it the greatest night in the history of tag team wrestling and said the Usos, despite being the direct descendants of the Wild Samoans, can become the greatest tag team of all time by unifying the titles. Heyman said the Usos will become the undisputed champions or they won't be welcomed back into the bloodline. And he said, that's not a prediction. That's a spoiler. Reigns then said he had really high expectations for them because he loved them. They all hugged in the ring. And then later backstage, RK Bro did their normal catchphrases. There wasn't really much more you could ask from this. Between Reigns and Heyman, it was two pretty strong promos setting the stage for what was a significant main event that I have to say I'm pretty surprised they did on a SmackDown and not at Hell in a Cell. Yeah, I both of us, I think, coming into this SmackDown expected some sort of schmage finish where they go into Hell in a Cell and they maybe they actually do the unification. None of us really thought they were going to do it on SmackDown, but they properly hyped it up they from did. the very beginning. But the promos were very good, calling this the biggest night in tag team history. Like it felt like a big deal. And then. Leading into the match, they did vignettes on uh, in video packages on both the Usos and RK Bro. So, like, they completely built this into where I thought this was going to be a, a nothing finish, uh, and wasn't was just kind of waiting for that. To you know what, this is a pretty huge match. I'm like, I'm into this now. They, they did a really good job getting me excited for it. Yeah, and this is from at least I, and I don't want to speak for you, but having no desire to see these titles unified, you know, whatsoever. Correct. But going Absolutely. into the match, you just like I said with Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania, I had no desire to see title versus title. I didn't think either title should have been on the line in that match. I didn't think, you know, I think I thought they should have lost those championships and had two other huge matches on, on WrestleMania. But I digress. Um, so coming into this, again, I, I wasn't excited for the potential of there being a undisputed champion, but you can't deny that these are two great tag teams and a match like this in a main event of a show is a big deal. So I was kind of pumped up for that, but I had the same expectation that we're going to get a schmoz finish, a DQ, a double DQ, something like that. And they would give us RK bro versus the Usos undisputed tag team championship on the line inside hell in a cell as the main event of that pay-per-view. That to me is a main event match. We didn't get it at backlash. 
I figured we'd get it at Hell in a Cell. Alas, yeah. alas, the main event of SmackDown, Tag Team Championship Unification, the SmackDown champions, the Usos, against the Raw champions, RK Bro. Two minutes into the match, Riddle got thrown backwards on the canvas, and I thought he got a concussion or whiplash or something. Trainers checked him, SmackDown went to commercial. After the break, footage was shown of him slamming his hip into the middle turnbuckle, so I guess he got some type of like stinger or something out of that. He got cleared, and I give Paul Heyman credit because he put Riddle over really strong on commentary for continuing the match. Like He literally got singled out by Heyman for this, which was really cool. Uh, Orton eventually got the hot tag. He had all his signature moves. He RKO'd Jimmy, and Jay broke the fall. Riddle made a run, but Jay caught him with a pop-up neckbreaker for a near fall. Jay then tripped him up on a floating bro attempt. Riddle went for an avalanche RKO on Jay, but Heyman tried to climb into the ring. That distracted the referee. Reigns then grabbed Jay on the top turnbuckle to prevent him from falling with the RKO, basically saving him. And Riddle just fell to the canvas. Jay immediately hit the Uso splash for the one, two, three to unify the tag team championships. This match was actually disappointing, if it's fair to say. Given the stakes, I was expecting some incredible match where even if there was a a distraction or an interference finish at the end, the rest of it would have been so incredible that it kind of would have been okay. I didn't think it was that. We've seen far better matches between these two teams. I went 3.25 stars in a B. It was nothing fresh, very formulaic for the wrestling. Uh, Reigns then attacked Riddle after the bell. The Usos hit stereo super kicks on Orton and rammed the steel steps into him three times as Reigns put Riddle into a guillotine. He then put Riddle on the announce table and Jay flew from the top rope with an Uso splash to completely destroy Riddle. Reigns then choked out Orton in the guillotine and the bloodline held up all six belts in the ring to really loud boos and great shots of kids, some being upset, others legitimately crying in the crowd as SmackDown ended. So Chris, there's a lot to unpack here, right? On the surface, as you guys know, as I already said today, I've been against the unification of the world titles and against the unification of the tag team titles. So that development for me personally was not ideal, but the execution was relatively great. To the best of my recollection, this is the first time that Paul Heyman has directly interfered in any bloodline match. I believe there was, you know, he threw the title in the ring that one time with Reigns and Lesnar. And the other time he like pushed a, a bottom rope further a little bit so someone could grab it. But in terms of really interfering, like taking his body and getting it into or near the ring to distract the referee so that someone else can cheat, I believe this is the first time that he did that. I also think it was just the first or second time ever that, or I should say second or third time ever, that Reigns directly helped one or both Usos in a match. So the bloodline, which hasn't really done a lot of cheating to win with the exception of when it was Jay helping Reigns back in the day. That's like over a year ago at this point. Also when the Usos won the title from the Mysterios. What was that? That was when they were... That was when uh, Jay, one or the other was helping the other one. Pin. Yeah, they did the feet on the back, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I'm saying like Reigns, like Reigns and yeah, Heyman yeah. is what I'm talking about. They don't do it a lot. So while I didn't love it, and it's a really shitty way for RK-Bro to lose the titles and then to unify the title, I also didn't have much of a problem with it, given how rare it is for them to do that. Using Riddle's cheap shot on Reigns last week, plus Orton's constant dissing of Reigns, as like a catalyst for the cheating and the Mm post-match attack, that made a ton of sense from a storytelling perspective. 
And we can talk more about what it means going forward for all of them in a moment. But for what we got Friday, I liked the booking and storytelling, you know, regarding the actual match. Again, it didn't live up to the standards, but the attack was chaotic. All the purposeful shots of the kids in the crowd really drove it home. This is the type of aggressive, professional wrestling shit that I like. It was really strong. And WWE took a group faction in the bloodline. Not a faction. No, it is because there's Paul Heyman. There's four people. Um, Uh, Yeah, it counts. Her business was a faction also, yes. Um, You know, so it took something that was kind of getting face cheers a little bit. And it completely ensured that they are the heels. They are the biggest heels in this company. And they're all the champions. And you're going to have to come at them and take all these titles off them. So now it's created, even though Reigns was already this, and you already know that, you know, the championships needed to get taken for Reigns. Now you have this with the Usos as well. Very similar to what AEW did with the Elite holding all the championships. It's this this faction that is just dominating the company. And now in WWE, everyone truly hates them, even if they kind of were starting to like them a little bit. I I was stunned watching this. I, I couldn't believe... One, that they actually did the unification of the titles. Mm-hmm. And two, that they did it in a in a in a really exciting way on a SmackDown, and that beatdown just really left me speechless. Like, holy crap, they did it. And you know, so like going back to the match, that riddle injury looked rough. I couldn't I couldn't believe he stayed in that match Same. based on how things were going. Not only stayed in the match, but he didn't just like tag out and take a break. Like he, he was yeah, still we came the back active, from commercial and he's in the ring. Yeah. He's yeah. still the active participant in the match. So credit to him for that. Um, uh, one of the Usos took an RKO and I noticed it. I, I always notice it now because you pointed it out that the Usos always take the RKO on their knees. Mm-hmm. They don't do the full layout. I don't know why. Um, so weird. The Usos are, I think, one of the best tag teams ever at breaking up a pin at the last second. They have always been really good at that, and there was there was another good one mm-hmm. in this match. And yeah, and and, and so then the, the beatdown happens, and it was properly violent, more than anything. And I I made this complaint a couple weeks ago about Seth and and uh, and Cody, and I probably will again later on here, which is. The, the supposed like beatdown that Seth Rollins delivered to Cody wasn't anything. It was just he did a wrestling move on a table. There wasn't much to it. Right. This was properly violent. This yes. was stairs. This was a giant splash from the turnbuckle to the table outside. This was the numbers game. This is how you do a pro wrestling beatdown. And Roman uh, says to Randy, he says, run your mouth now, which is a great, like you mentioned, all, all the shit talking that Randy Orton was doing. The line that he said last week about I'm actually taller than you. Uh, Ro- it, it, it felt like Roman was legitimately pissed off. And, r- and right at the end, when they all put up the ones, uh, you, you, the, the, the camera angle that's down on the floor, you see Pat McAfee kind of like nervously do the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you look kind of scared like he felt like he had to do it. Little thing if you only noticed it in the background. But it was great. I Look, I hate that the titles are unified. I don't like it. But if you're going to do it, this was a great way to do it. Agreed. Frankly, much better than the way Roman unified his titles. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, you know, this is really the second time in two years we've had a faction uh, or a group 
have all the titles. Like you just said, we, we had it with the Hurt Business not too long ago. That didn't last very long, but you had it there. So Well, that was also just one brand. Don't forget. Yeah, right, 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 yeah. right. But the idea of a faction having a lot of gold at once, I think, is is a great way to just just you know get them over even more. So lo- loved everything about this. The Can one I, thing I'll say, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, no, I, was gonna, I, I just had a thought. I just had a thought. I'm, I'm, I did not mean to interrupt you. I thought you were done. Um, yeah, no. But isn't it funny that what you know? A lot of people have complained for years that WWE has too many championships, and I was just thinking. WWE now has fewer championships than AEW has because AEW's added all the Ring of Honor titles as canon that they keep oh, defending yeah. them on the show. And WWE, like, it just took away two of its championships, basically. Yeah, that's true. The, the only thing I want, the only thing I, I, this is kind of unrelated, but as I thought about this and the Usos having the record SmackDown championship hold, they've held it, I think, since Money in the Bank when they first came back when I was at that show. And it's it's been a kind of a weird thing where this this almost doesn't feel like a faction is the thing because like the the Usos have throughout this run what has been the most memorable thing they've done as a tag team because kind of their whole story is just this this we're backing up we're backing up Roman Reigns and we're holding the titles for him kind of right and so it's that that has been maybe a bit of a letdown. It doesn't feel like a degeneration X when triple H has the world title and in the, in the new age outlaws have the tag titles Mm because they're doing their own thing. It feels like it still feels like the Romans underlings. Um, and it's been that way for a while. I, I don't know if there's any, not, you know, it is nitpicking a bit. I really enjoy the bloodline and everything, but I was just thinking, Oh, one of the greatest factions of all time, I don't know if I'm going to think of them that way because it still feels like it's all about Roman because it is. It doesn't feel like it's a group of people necessarily. It sounds like underlings underneath the boss. Yeah, it's it's only an all time great faction if you're counting championship days. Like if, yeah. if that's all it is, then in domination and number of challengers beaten on Roman Reigns part, then I guess you could. It, I think Roman Reigns is having an all time great title reign. Not, not yes, necessarily not necessarily the all time great title reign, but a one of them. Um, but no, they're not an all-time great faction. It's just in kayfabe, they kind of are. Like you know, you you can't take away the accomplishments if you're judging it. Like if this was this was uh, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which does all their stuff, their rankings and stuff in kayfabe, then yeah, it's very difficult to like not have Roman Reigns and the Usos as the number one male wrestler, number one tag team of the year, given what they have accomplished. But no, it's not a great faction. They're not um, destroying you know, everyone on the show and, and taking over and making every decision themselves. Um, you know, they they don't show up on Raw. So it's like, if Roman Reigns is never on Raw, then how is he really the undisputed champion in all of WWE if he really only shows up on SmackDown? So it's just like, you know, it's it's lackluster as a as a faction. But as a Singles wrestler and tag team, their accomplishments cannot be denied. That's the best way I can put it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Okay, so let's move to the second half of this, and then we'll go into what's next. Uh, Riddle opened Raw by himself in the middle of the ring. He cut what was probably his first or second serious promo ever on the main roster. He talked about Randy Orton being his bro, but also having a hard time with his back recently. He said Orton could barely walk before their unification match, and he felt bad for him. Riddle called Reigns a tribal piece of trash and vowed to get revenge on him, uh, the Usos, and everyone in the bloodline before the end of his career. He said he loved Orton, but wasn't sure about the future of RK-Bro, 
Riddle then led the fans in a loud extended RK bro chant, saying again that he loved Orton. This was pretty great, actually. I got to say, this was the my favorite part of Raw, and it was the very first thing that we got on Raw. Riddle got a chance to stand on his own uh, while they clearly seem ready to have Orton take time off, maybe about a month or so. That's going to lead to a massive pop for Orton when he returns to get Riddle's back whenever that happens. And WWE did this in a way where RK bro doesn't break up with a heel turn. They don't break up because one guy is trying to pursue something and the other one doesn't want to. Yet they get an opportunity to kind of separate from each other from tag teaming before eventually reuniting. And I'm never going to dislike Riddle calling out Reigns the way he did. That was pretty awesome. I just wish he used kind of tougher language with more anger. But overall, it was kind of tough to ask for more given what they are trying to do. Orton taking a break, probably just because he wants a break with his family, but also taking a break from the storyline and allowing Riddle to stand on his own. I thought this was very well done to open Raw and really one of the few things that truly entertained me on that show. Yeah, no, it was... um. Yeah, it was one of the first times we've seen Riddle be completely serious like that and look like he was going to cry. And his comments about Randy Orton's back, like, I don't know if that was kayfabe or not, but like he said it in a way that made me think it was real. Like, like he got that across. And so, yeah, it probably was the best thing of Raw. I, I'd probably agree with that. Um, so really well done by him. The only thing I think it was weird to open with that promo and then the chant the crowd chant, and then they just go to commercial. Like, that was weird. Like, you, you typically with Raw, you're it's either someone comes out and you get ready to start a match or someone comes out to, to call back in a promo. And instead, it was just like, you know, we'll be okay, and then we go to commercial. Like, as the opening segment, it was, it was um, a bit jarring, just not typically how they do it. Yeah, that was a little strange. Maybe they just wanted it to, like, get hammered home with the audience because they already announced the match that was coming up next. Mm-hmm. So they, they knew you were going to stay tuned. So maybe that was the purpose. It was just like, hey, here's a touching moment. Let's putting let's put Riddle front and center in our broadcast and try to get him over. And I think that's certainly what they did. So we got the match. Uh, it was announced, promoted right at the start of the show as a six-man tag team match. Riddle and the Street Profits against Sami Zayn and the Usos. Before the match, the Usos cut a bragging promo in gorilla position. And they got a big announce, like just, you know, lauding them for all their accomplishments. Zayn waited for them on the ramp and then danced with them as they walked to the ring. That was pretty funny. Riddle ran down to attack before the bell. Everyone brawled. It was even for a while until Riddle got the hot tag and tore everyone apart. He hit a bunch of exploder suplexes, lifted knees and brotons. Montez Ford took out the Usos with an awesome tope cone hero. Riddle then hit the draping DDT on Zayn. The Usos decided to quit on the match, and then Riddle hit the RKO on Sammy for the win in 13 minutes. The faces then all did Orton's pose after the bell as a show of respect. Entertaining match to open the show. A really good way to get Riddle a clean win coming off of his promo and coming off of losing the tag team titles. But given the talent in the ring, it just wasn't anywhere near what it could have been from a wrestling match. I said the same thing about the tag team match on SmackDown. And no matter the promotion, whenever there's a finish with tag team partners leaving and then the other person, their other partner losing, it always feels like a cheap victory. So no negatives here, but certainly it wasn't as good as it could have been. So... Correct me if I missed something here, but why was Riddle teaming with the Profits when the Profits have been essentially kind of heels for the past few weeks and doing things to RK, bro? Well, they've been kind of antagonizing them, but they never were heels. And they always were kind of like 
on the same page. If you remember, they had that um, segment in the ring where I think I'm forgetting who came out first or whatever, but long story short, it was when they were going to first do the unification match at Backlash and the Profits were the number one contenders because they had already beaten RK-Bro, so they wanted their match. And they basically ended up siding with RK-Bro, saying, hey, RK-Bro was like, look, we're going to unify the titles. As soon as we do, you're going to get your tag team championship match. And they kind of were all on the same page against the Usos on on that um, on that show. So they've already always kind of been aligned as faces, even though they weren't certainly friends, I guess is the best way to put it. I it just it stuck out to me. I would have had Riddle saying his promo and be like, "Hey, prophets, I know we haven't seen eye to eye here, but you know, let's team up and take down these assholes." Usos. Just just like a little acknowledgement because it, sure. it, it was a little weird to me that it just it just it stuck it stuck out. Um, I gotta say though, like this was for for, for Friday being the biggest tag team match in history, as WWE said it, the first unified champions goes right back to what I said about the way the Usos are kind of presented. Their big crowning moment, the first time we see them, is them cutting a backstage promo in gorilla position. Right. And that's it. And then walking out of the match they do. That's not good enough. Now, Just take, happy to take SmackDown, a loss. Happy to take a loss. It yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure on SmackDown we'll have Roman and we'll do the coronation and all this stuff. Or, but, or not even that. I'm sure Sammy will be like, hey, guys, that wasn't cool. And like, you know, I'm sure they're going to talk about it. But, sorry, but yeah, but like you'll get the big coronation on Friday, I'm, I'm sure. Maybe. But but you did, but that that's how you present the Usos on Monday. Like, what if you just you didn't watch SmackDown because it's on a Friday? You see, oh, man, the Usos won this big match. They just look like whatever. Like they, they were not presented as supposed to be the um, great, one disagree. of the greatest tag teams of all time. I'm going to disagree slightly. So I, I, on one hand, you're right that like they should, they certainly should have done more. If anything, really, Riddle should have opened the show with a promo, gone backstage. They do something else. The Usos come out, do do a promo in the ring, and then they do the six man. That way, each of them get a moment to like, like Riddle gets his face moment. The Usos get a heel moment, and then you do the match. So I do. I would it, it would it wouldn't have made sense, but I would have had the Usos come out in response to Riddle's promo, sure. do their deal, put themselves over, and then the profits. It's it's out of order with the entrances, but like just something to be instead of just doing it in gorilla position. You don't, you don't get as many boos that way. You don't get the you know they should be taunting the crowd and stuff like that about, about what they did. Instead, it's just a gorilla position promo. No, I I do think that's completely fair. I just will say they did give them that over the top introduction, which was really supposed to be like making a big deal of them being the undisputed champions. So it wasn't per- okay. maybe it wasn't executed perfectly, but I did think that they they thought it through and they attempted to do something for them with that introduction is what I'm trying to say. Sure. So um so anyway, I guess really the next step here is to discuss what's going to happen now. You know, with the bloodline, with WWE, considering really it is the storyline in WWE right now. And the number one, you know, note is that Roman Reigns needs world title challengers, even if it's not going to be for Hell in a Cell. He needs them coming up soon because they're about to do four consecutive stadium shows. You know, it looks like even though Drew McIntyre was in that mix and talking shit to the bloodline and it. It really seemed like they were going to go right to that. And I'm glad they're not. I'm glad they're, you know, stepping on the brakes and pausing and, and whatever the case, whether that's for SummerSlam or Clash at the Castle, one of those shows, I'm sure he's going to get one of those really big spots. But they've taken Drew McIntyre off of television. 
Um, there's a chance he comes back next week. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But they've taken him off TV, uh, created distance and space between him and Roman Reigns. And it's pretty clear that they're trying to set up other challengers for his championships. If they're going to push off Drew McIntyre until Clash of the Champions, which seems possible. And if they're going to push off Cody Rhodes, whether making him the Money in the Bank winner or just deciding you know, to hold him maybe until the Royal Rumble or something like that, then you really need to look at who can actually challenge Roman Reigns for these championships. And I only am coming up with three names right now. Uh, The first of those is Shinsuke Nakamura, who, again, has every reason to want to challenge and deserve really a challenge against Roman Reigns for the championship. But the other two, given the fact that Orton is currently off TV and they had Riddle come out and call Roman Reigns out individually, are Riddle and Orton. And I could very much see uh, them going with Riddle, perhaps, at Money in the Bank and Randy Orton against Roman Reigns at SummerSlam, which, by the way, you would think to yourself, well, you know, Orton's older. It would be better for a younger person to kind of get that spot. True. But number one, Orton is over like Rover. Still to this day, fans love him. And through RK Bro, he's even more over than he maybe ever has been before. Like mm-hmm. he with Riddle is super over. And when they come out to the ring, they aren't just chanting RK Bro, the fans. They're chanting Orton. They're chanting Randy. Like they want Randy Orton. So I think WWE with that post-match attack on SmackDown set up a situation where you're going to get Roman Reigns against Riddle and Roman Reigns against Randy Orton at the two big American stadium shows. And I got to say, if that's the booking and they took the tag team championships off of them in order to do that, it's kind of tough to argue. Like I've been, I've been begging for Riddle to be in the main event since he joined the main roster during the pandemic. Randy Orton's one of those guys. He is going to move tickets. The potential for him to be the guy that stops Roman Reigns or takes one of the titles off of him at that show, that is pretty awesome, right? And pretty exciting, even though we probably would guess what the results of those matches are going to be. So if that's what they do, great. I would love to have Shinsuke Nakamura getting a TV championship match at some point in there. Um, hell, even if they figured out a way to make Nakamura against Reigns the match at Money in the Bank, I could probably stomach it because that would likely mean maybe we get Riddle at SummerSlam and Orton at the show in Saudi Arabia, potentially. That could be a good booking as well. So I'm open for all of these options. And I got to say, they're pretty good options, especially if they're going to push Drew McIntyre off until Clash of the Castle. Yeah, I I really have no idea. And I, I don't know if you mentioned it. I, I was checking something real quick. But McIntyre tweeted, and they showed this on the show. He tweeted um, a couple days ago, thank you, Cardiff, for the hospitality. Next time I'm in town, we're going to battle. And I want the stadium packed at the rafters. Uh, no, wait, that's not the wrong tweet. He said, uh, so much excitement for WWE Castle, over 40K tickets sold. I can't wait to come back in September and win the undisputed WWE Universal Championship in front of this crowd. That's um, whether or not he actually wins it, I don't know, but that that's pretty specific and they showed it on the show. It kind of makes me think that that may be the plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it would make sense for all, for all the reasons, but um, it was an interesting acknowledgement of it. Other than that, I honestly have no idea. I mean, we assume this will be the end of the Cody-Seth feud, Hell in a Cell. 
And if it is, Cody, you know, has been talking about it. He's been positioned to get that title shot. Frankly, I think a great story to tell would be him getting that title shot at SummerSlam and blowing it and then having to work his way back, wins the Rumble, wins the title at Mania over somebody else uh, or, or Roman at Mania Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I really don't know where any of these people go right now for the reasons we laid out. And I'm, I'm interested that, ma- that makes me interested. doesn't make me interested for Hell in a Cell, but it makes me interested as to what exactly the big plans are for these stadium shows and when they're going to kind of get the ball rolling on it. Cause I think there are a lot of possibilities, including all the ones you just laid out. So uh, I don't know. And as for, as for um, the Usos, I, I really have no idea that you can never predict anything with WWE's tag team division, but uh Honestly, well, that's the, clue that's the thing, because with the Usos, I think it got complicated by having Orton injured in storyline because it would have been very easy to just do a rematch at mm-hmm. Hell in a Cell, inside Hell in a Cell for the tag team championships. It would have been a great main event and they could have possibly even done a storyline where they're like, we wanted a rematch. I'm like, sure, we'll give you a rematch for the Raw tag team championships. So like you unify them and then you split them right away. Like they could have done that. And had RK Bro go over at Hell in a Cell, inside Hell in a Cell, and have it be pretty damn exciting. But, I mean, as of now, Chris, it seems to me like both undisputed champions are not going to be at the next pay-per-view in 12 days, which is just, yeah, it's just kind of crazy to me, all, all things Maybe. considered. I mean, maybe the profits because of Monday night, you know, but but if if you're going into hell in a cell, you're not going to have Roman on the card. You're not going to have RK bro on the card. That's it's a tough. I mean, the the street profits, the street profits right now are the number three tag team, I would say, in WWE for if you include New Day. I don't really know that you just blow that off or throw it away at hell in a cell. That should be that's a good money in the bank tag team championship match. Yeah, in my opinion, if they build it for a month. You know, that's a really mm-hmm. good match. So um, mm-hmm. really, this comes down to two questions as far as I'm concerned, because you have to look at WrestleMania. Like you said, it's WrestleMania Hollywood pushed off for a year. Um, it, there's, so there's two questions that need to be answered. And that if I if I had the answers to those questions, which I don't, which none of us do right now, it would give us a lot more clarity on what's going to happen going forward. Those two questions are, is Roman Reigns going to fight the Rock at WrestleMania? That's number one. Number two is, will he be the undisputed champion in in that match? Because if they're going to do that, then clearly they're not going to have this guy lose at all, which means he is going to beat every single available person in this company until he takes the title against The Rock and beats him as well. Now, possibly someone, whoever wins Money in the Bank, if it's Cody in particular, uh, could cash in. Uh, certainly at WrestleMania to make a really big moment. Reigns defends against The Rock and we get a new champion at the end. That could happen. Um, Or that person holds until another big show, the next big show. They do that. But if we, if, if Roman Reigns, if the plan is to fight The Rock and they plan to keep the title on him for that match, the truth is almost nothing that happens between now and the Royal Rumble matters. And that would be a massive disappointment. If they are going to have that match without the championships, then we have some really unique things WWE can do. 
between the Royal Rumble, between Money in the Bank, SummerSlam, uh, Clash at the Castle. They can split these titles, um, you know, have Roman lose twice, have him lose once, and then WWE decides to split the titles. There's a million different things they can do. But if he is taking these titles all the way until WrestleMania, it really just kind of continues this monotonous booking where he just beats every single person on the roster except for maybe Cody or maybe The Rock. If for some reason they see a way to have Rock beat Roman and then split the titles, which would be a killer, in my opinion, for Roman. So again, it's very difficult to predict, which in some ways is good because it's unpredictable, right? And we like being surprised. But it also at the same time, we kind of like knowing, hey, there's this one major storyline out there and this is where it's going to wrap up. Just like in AEW, you talk about with the Hangman Adam Page. Kenny Omega could have lost those titles at a number of different junctures, and Hangman still could have eventually been the guy to win the titles, whether Omega won it back or whether he won it off someone else, whatever the case. Right now in WWE, there isn't that singular person chasing where you say, no. that's the guy. Like we thought it might have been Big E, it's not Big E. We thought it might be Drew McIntyre. And maybe it still is, but it doesn't really seem to be Drew McIntyre. It does seem like Cody is the only person that has an inkling of a storyline where there's going to be this big crescendo at the end of him winning the championship. Even Seth Rollins, he's, you know, he, he kind of, you know, Roman kind of got out, uh, got disqualified, right, against Rollins in their one-on-one -on -one match last year where you'd say, hey, it's ready-made, Reigns-Rollins, WrestleMania, massive main event. Rollins beats him. He's the one guy that can beat Roman Reigns. And even that isn't happening. So that's kind of where we are. We're in purgatory. Right. Um, as for The Rock, uh, it was reported quite a few places that he does not have movies on the schedule for the first quarter of 2023. Interesting. However, uh, a big, uh, a lot of people think a big part of that is actually due to the XFL, which is launching next year. Um, but it could be it could open the possibility for that wrestling match. Um, what better way well. to promote the XFL, by the way? What exactly? What better way to promote the XFL? April. What is it? April. It's this happens in April that the league's probably going to be starting in March, April, right? So <sighs> yeah, it'll be it'll be right around then. Yeah. So not not. I don't know if it has a start date yet, but yeah. So but yes, it, it, exactly that. So there's going to be more speculation on that. The more I think about it, the more the more I don't want a title to be on the line in that match because Roman has had this title for so long because you really need to freshen up that main event championship scene with the Cody, with the Drew McIntyre, with the whoever. I would like to see it changed at one of these stadium shows, I think. And then you can set up the Rock Roman any which way you want to, and that'll be a massive, massive match. If WWE thinks they've built Roman into the guy they think he is, then he's a big deal whether or not he has the title. That's yes, the one thing we, we, we how that's many the, times have we said that about about Brock Lesnar and Goldberg? Exactly. And, it, uh, that's if, the problem. If he's, if he's at that point, he it, can he be the tribal chief without the championships? Yes, that has yeah. not been established yet, technically, because we just haven't seen it. Um, and that's what they're going to have to work toward. And I think they can by, by doing the tribal chief head of the table family and the rocks is I'm the head of the family. Like, boom, it's right there. It's a natural storyline. So you don't need the titles. That's the thing. The question isn't if they can do it, they can do it. They've done it. He's he's mm -hmm. ready for it, right? He can stand alone without the championships, just like Brock Lesnar is such a big deal 
that he could main event or be a co-main event of any pay-per-view the WWE puts on without a championship involved. They just refuse to do it. WWE Vince McMahon refuses to allow his top, top guys to be involved in main events without championship implications. It is the exact opposite of how it should be. If someone is that big, they don't need the title. Look at CM Punk in AEW right now. I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting he's as big as Roman Reigns or Brock Lesnar, but think about like the match with MJF. That was the biggest match on the show. It did not Mm -hmm. involve a championship. The best Bobby Lashley Goldberg match, the best Goldberg match period that we've gotten in years since WrestleMania with Brock Lesnar. The best Goldberg match was against Bobby Lashley in a non-title match. So this Mm -hmm. is what WWE should be doing. They're not. It's frustrating. Let's move on. We have a lot more to discuss on this show. The second half of our main event, Chris, uh, WWE on SmackDown made a statement about Sasha Banks and Naomi before the main event of the show. The timing, by the way, was not lost on me. The WWE figured the most people would be tuned in for the unified tag team championship main event. So they wanted to announce this in front of as many people as possible. Michael Cole looked straight into the camera. Reading off a script, he said the following, Sasha Banks and Naomi let us all down. The WWE Women's Tag Team Champions walked off the show and walked out of the building during Monday Night Raw. Sasha and Naomi took the Tag Team Championships into the office of our head of talent relations, left them there, and then promptly walked out of the arena. Their actions disappointed millions of WWE fans and their fellow superstars. So because of what Sasha and Naomi did this past Monday night, they have been suspended indefinitely and we will have a future tournament to crown the new WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. So, wow. (laughs) That's that's the first thing I have to say. Wow. Uh, There were three distinctive thoughts I had after hearing this on Friday. The first is the statement was unnecessarily strong. Like, I expected it to be addressed again, but not with language that biting. That said... What Sasha and Naomi did is one of the cardinal sins of not just wrestling, but sports and or entertainment. Actors walking off sets, athletes refusing to play. I mean, one of the biggest stories in the NFL this year was Antonio Brown quitting in the middle of a game. Is this guy going to get hired anywhere? No, he's not, right? Like, like this literally is something that just happened in the NFL. Now, I thought Vince McMahon expressed that anger on Monday and got it out of his system, but it's clear they really wanted to make a point here. I mean, Chris, look, we discussed this last week. WWE did not let Steve Austin get away with walking out before a show. They had superstars bury him on TV until he came back. They certainly weren't going to let Sasha and Naomi get away with walking out before a show, but they walked out during a show. And for anyone who like is getting mixed up on whether they walked out before, whether they walked out during. So I spoke to some people I know in WWE to try to get a little bit of background They made it clear they weren't going to do the match, but they walked out during the show. Like, like WWE still thought, okay, we'll get them to do it. You know, we'll we'll come to it a decision on how the match will get booked during the show. Everything will be okay because this has basically happened before with people. Instead, they literally walked off after WWE announced that this was going to be the main event of the show. So the other thing to consider here is with the strong language WWE used, this isn't, you know, 2000. This is 2022. It's two decades later. Social media, 
outspoken fans, competition, legitimate competition in AEW, tons of outside pressure, the overall workers movement that's kind of going on in this country right now. This certainly was not received well. And WWE even pulled down their Facebook pages and pulled their merchandise off the WWE shop. That way they could not earn money during their indefinite suspension. So I'm not saying, Chris, that it's impossible for them to come back from this. Nearly everything I've seen in terms of like dirt sheet reports basically says people were confused why they walked out in the first place because the booking wasn't even that bad. And even if a couple people do support them, the majority seem to kind of be wishy-washy at best and not support them at worst. But if they don't have a leg to stand on, they may not have much of a choice besides to like kind of eat some shit and return. But man, it felt like WWE should have been way softer on this than they were, given it was four days later. And really by the point uh, of SmackDown, by the time they got to SmackDown, cooler heads probably should have prevailed. Well, I think the statement from Cole was honestly a bit toned down from the statement they released on Monday. Statement on Monday talked about how they basically they felt it was unsafe to work with certain wrestlers who they'd already worked with. That threw a lot that threw a lot of people under the bus. This one was they let the fans down, whatever. I just kind of rolled my eyes at that. Um, as for the positioning before the main event, it does make sense when if, if you figure that's when the most people will be watching potentially. Um, but it did take away from the beginning of the main event, you know, through the entrances, through the beginning of that match, probably until Riddle got hurt. This was the only thing people were talking about on on my Twitter timeline. It was the only thing I was thinking about, uh, as it was going on. So it, uh, this video, by the way, and I always talk about the, the YouTube videos, this has the second most views from SmackDown, uh, on, uh, on the YouTube only behind the actual title match. Um, you know, I think it was last week you and I said within 30 days, will they be back or not? And I think both of us said yes. Uh, um, I, I said, you said in 30 days, I said eventually. The question, oh, I, I, asked, we, the question I posed, the question I posed last week was, I gave like three options. I said, um, do they come back to WWE? Uh, does WWE let them uh, sit out their contract and keep them on ice and freeze them? indefinitely? Or does WWE fire them? We both agreed that they were going to come back. I think you said 30 days or so. I said, I'm I think not going to put might... a time limit on. But I said, okay, sure. I, but, but I said, but I said, I do expect them to come back and not be released and, and not be frozen long term. And I still so we agree. I, I, I still do not see any way WWE actually fires them and opens the door for them to go to the competition or go to whoever. They, they, they don't fire people who they don't even use and want to leave the company. Like they're not going to fire people <laughs> who, who provide them a lot of money and actively don't want to go. So actively do want to go. So uh, I do think the SmackDown situation uh, made things a bit icier, you know, Cooler heads have not prevailed yet. Um, I saw TMZ posted some video of it was headlined like Sasha Banks parting with with Steve Aoki, you know, after walking out on Monday Night Raw. This was like over the weekend. And, you know, WWE has a relationship with TMZ. Well, they'll they'll feed them stuff. It's pretty well known. And I, I don't know if that was fed or not, but my only thought watching it was this only makes Sasha Banks look cooler. This doesn't make me not like her. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. 
what if anything was behind that or if Sasha's people put that out. I, I don't know. But uh yeah, it's um you know, I saw Bailey, I think, tweeted a photo of like a hand reaching out for a hand. Dolph Ziggler tweeted a photo of him and Naomi, I think. So it's it's kind of it's not like full throated support necessarily, but I, I think um that report by if it was Alvarez or somebody who said there was zero support for them among the talent. Like we said at the time, there's no way it's zero. Surely there are people. There's no way it's, there, it was never zero. And, no. and, and I think we, and I think we've seen a couple of people who have, but most people haven't said anything and, 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 and understandably. So yeah, I, I still really don't know where this, when this gets resolved, but I still think there's absolutely no way WWE fires them. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Now, the second thought I had, because I mentioned that was my first thought, uh, I chuckled that they're now going to do a women's tag team championship tournament (laughs) when when there's 1.5 other women's tag teams on the roster. I guess you could say two. Do drop a Nikki, do look to to be together. So there's two other women's tag teams on the roster, technically. If that results, though, in some NXT call ups, Chris, I've been saying it for over a year now. Caden Carter and Katana Chance, Casey Catanzaro, need to be on the main roster. They are the only legitimate women's tag team in the company right now. Okay, not the only one. They are the best legitimate women's tag team in terms of like working together, doing tag team moves. Yes, Sasha Banks and, and Naomi were the other one that something that just recently developed. But the Caseys are sitting there in NXT waiting for this opportunity. They need to get called up. I hope it leads to other women getting called up. And I hope it leads to there actually being a women's tag team division in WWE. It would be so hysterical, so ironic if, you know, WWE is angry at them walking out and maybe they do have to come back and eat a little bit of shit in order to make their way back to WWE. But when they do, there's suddenly a women's tag team division with five teams on the main (laughs) roster. That to me- I was gonna say- No, go ahead. Go ahead. This this may have ultimately- done what they wanted and that is elevate the women's tag division into something to take seriously. Exactly. I mean, you know, even, even in occasion when there have been good women's tag team storylines on the main roster and we've had them, the Kabuki warriors against Boston hug connection or golden role models, whatever the hell they were. Um, we've had that we've had other such storylines, you know, we've had good women's tag team wrestling, but there's never truly been a women's tag team division, which there needs to be. So if this leads to that, it would be very, very funny and ironic. And I hope it does. And I hope that Sasha Banks and Naomi come back and are able to take part in it. Maybe they do a storyline out of this, whatever the case. The third thought was you could tell that Michael Cole had no desire to do it when he was reading that. He always puts Sasha Banks and Naomi and Sasha Banks and Naomi combined over super strong. Like you can tell he really likes them as people. And you had Pat McAfee sitting there completely uncomfortable not saying a word, knowing he shouldn't say a word. I was uncomfortable at home watching it. So just the whole thing that we got, the whole, that little package on Friday, very, very strange, at least for me as a viewer. Yeah, I, I think I think at the end, McAfee said like, all right, <laughs> at the end of it. And then something I think like they that. actually cut it from the, I think they cut it out of the clip they tweeted or something like that. So um, yeah, awkward all around. I don't know. I don't know how it ends. All right. Well, I know how the main event of this show ends. It ends right on that note because we have a lot more to talk to. Because we have a lot more to talk about from SmackDown 
and Raw this week. Spoiler alert, Silver King's not very happy right now as we slide into the second half of this show. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So before we go like the segment by segment breakdown that we always do, really quick off the top, I noticed this as I was putting together the rundown. Raw right now, Monday Night Raw, it has two real titles on the brand. And given Reigns never shows up and the Usos are primarily SmackDown superstars, it doesn't seem like that's changing anytime soon. The United States champion and his main challenger didn't even get a spot on the three-hour Raw Monday night. It was one of the worst booked Raws. This is what we were talking about earlier. Not necessarily the worst TV product, but from a conceptualization standpoint, what we got on the show, how it was presented to us, it was one of the worst booked Raws of the entire year. Nothing that happened Monday night got me any more excited for Hell in a Cell. And there were hardly any developments on the show itself. And the crowd was awful. Now, not that WWE gave them much to cheer about, but the SmackDown crowd on Friday was incredible. The Raw crowd on Monday was silent for most of the show. It just felt to me, coming out of Monday night, like I wasted three hours. And I know a lot of people will say, well, that's Raw every week. They'll be sarcastic. It's not. Most weeks, I finish Raw, and I'm entertained, and I'm going to sleep, and I'm pretty happy with what I got. Mm -hmm. This week felt like a complete waste of time. Shout out to Grand Rapids, the SmackDown crowd. That's where I went to my first WWE show live. Grand Rapids? Yeah. Yes, uh, in Michigan, which is where, uh, which was the show where Mark Henry did the the, the fake retirement salmon uh, jacket bit. So uh, Grand Rapids got some pretty big stuff happening every time it rolls through town. Um, I don't know what the Monday crowd was, but yes, it was pretty bad. And it looked... Very, very not full. It looked like there was nothing in the upper deck based on certain camera shots, uh, which was uh, noticeable. Yeah, but I'm just saying the crowd was bad. The show was bad. So it really sets up a situation where, um, yeah, get ready for this. So, okay, uh, let's get into it. (laughs) Cody Rhodes fought The Miz on Raw. Backstage, Miz said you can never trust a man with neck tattoos. He also remarked about the absurd amounts of pyro that Cody gets (laughs) and said Rhodes could never be him. It was actually an exceptional short promo from The Miz. And I love it. It was a ta- face promo. It was a baby face it promo. It was a face promo. <laughs> and I love that the tattoo is now like relevant in kayfabe. Like it's, it's been mentioned. It is now part of the show. Uh, Seth Rollins later said that it makes him physically ill to hear Cody's name. He also talked about the countdown to Cody clock. I don't think there was actually a clock this week, though. Um, even though he did show up at 10 well, o'clock. There was at the there very was? beginning okay. of the show. I missed yeah, it. when it was like when it was like an hour and forty something minutes away, pretty much after the first match, I think Got it. is when they did they did a they didn't call it Cody Countdown, but they did show the clock. I think it was the only time they showed it though. Got it. Okay, because they didn't do it like three times like they did last week. But yeah, maybe they showed it. I just completely missed it. But I also thought Rollins' promo was extremely well done. So both promos, I'm getting you're getting two thumbs up from the Silver King, and then we had the match, yes. Cody and Miz. Uh, Cody straight up failed to do like a surfboard with Miz, who then completely missed a sunset flip pinning combination. Cody at the Cody cutter, and he put Miz in the figure four, which Miz didn't try to reverse, even though it's his own submission move. The crowd finally got excited where Cody looked to do a moonsault outside, only for Rollins to push him off the top rope, which is something he's done previously for disqualification. Cody then got attacked two on one, sold the knee, got thrown into the steps, flipping over them with his knee. 
Cody then stole the weight belt, or sorry, Rollins then stole the weight belt that Cody gave a kid at ringside earlier on his way to the ring and destroyed him over the back with it. He hit him one time over the back with it. Cody at the end limped to the back and handed the belt back to the kid that Rollins stole it from. And he did get a face pop in the arena for that. He later exited the training room saying his knee got injured, but he's fine. He called himself uncrowned and said he's going to make Rollins 0-3 against him. So this whole thing was a mess. Uh, There was zero energy to the match. And I can't blame the crowd because Cody and Miz were awful together in the ring, which is strange because they actually had a solid match just a few weeks ago. The -hmm. crowd was also dead for it, not only because of the poor wrestling, but WWE had Cody stand alone in the ring for six minutes between his entrance and the match beginning. Then on top of that, they did a DQ finish for no reason when Cody should have easily just beaten the Miz. It's not like the Miz would have gotten like buried from losing to Cody. Then he could have gotten a pop for winning and then been attacked by Rollins after. It was another week where Rollins attack on Cody. This one was, you know, it was more serious, throwing him to the steps and doing multiple things. But he took the belt. He slapped him over the back one time with it. Why not beat the shit out of him with it? And on top of all of this, Cody is now the ultimate babyface in WWE. But no one in that locker room has Cody's back. Why not have Mustafa Ali run out Given he's already feuding with The Miz, have Cody's back, and then you do a tag team match next week, and Ali gets the rub from teaming with Cody and beating the heels next week. So as much as I liked both of the promos, I really did to start, and I loved utilizing the weight belt to, you know, get the kid uh, upset and then have Cody get a face pop at the end. All of those little elements were pretty smart, but nothing worked in regards to this match. It was easily Cody's worst match since returning. And it was his first bad segment since coming back to WWE. Yeah, I mean, you laid it all out there with the match. Definitely his worst match since coming back. For whatever reason, it just didn't seem to click. And then, again, Seth does something to Cody. That's not like, it's a heel move, but it's not like a bloodline beatdown type of thing. And so the problem with Cody is that he cuts the same promo every time. Like, not every promo can be undesirable to undeniable. Like, Seth Rollins pushed you off the turnbuckle and disqualified you in the match, and it didn't mean anything. Like, okay, you don't, it doesn't need to lead to the big grand promo every single time. I mean, he, didn't, that, he, didn't, that, he did not cut a big grand promo on Monday. No, like, but, 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 but like, he's trying to stir up those emo, those same emotions in every promo he cuts. That's why AEW fans got bored of it because it wasn't. There were there weren't levels to it. He literally says undesirable, undeniable in this promo after Seth Rollins pushed him off a turnbuckle and he got. All right, I I got I got to step I got to step in here. Okay, so yeah, and I'm I'm no defender. I'm no I'm no defender of this segment because it was awful on Monday night. Okay, but Cody when he said that he said it like under his breath. He's like, yeah, undesirable, undeniable. But what I am is uncrowned. Like so, he he was like he was using it to kind of bring up something brand new which is him being uncrowned. But so I just I just it's wanted, not like he focused on to, it. It's not like he cut the same promo he no. did in AEW. I just wanted to be like I'm freaking pissed off at Seth Rollins. I want to kick his ass. It doesn't need to be like I'm the uncrowned whatever. It's it, it, it's like it doesn't need to have like some big theme to it every time. It can just be like where is he? I want to kick his ass. Like we we got to get to that point with him if this is going to be a hell in the cell type of match. It's the same it's the same thing it's similar, not at the same, not the same level, 
but this is what I said before of the last time Seth did this to Cody when he stomped him on the table and it was like some terrible thing that he did when it was just a freaking wrestling move on, onto a table and Cody cut one of those grand promos. And look, the crowd got into it that time because he's really good at delivering that promo in front of the crowd. But like this one's like backstage. It was toned down, but it was still like, it was still an attempt to be kind of like a larger than life theme. And yeah, I just I wanted, I, I just wanted, I'm getting really sick of South Rollins doing this to me. I just want to kick his ass. Where is he? I got to go find him. Like do that instead of the same thing we did two or three weeks ago. See, I, I just, I just disagree. I think that's what he did. He basically said, he, he, what he basically said was what the promo was about is, man, it's really going to suck for Rollins to be 0 and 3 against me. Like it wasn't some grand promo. It was him injured getting checked on by Kevin Patrick, I think is the guy's name. And he cut a short promo and he kind of went on with his day. I didn't like, I think next week we're going to get another grand promo. So I think you're just being, uh, you're looking ahead. Like I like I think I think maybe, this coming maybe. Monday it on the just, Go Home Raw you're gonna you're gonna get Cody in the middle of the ring cutting a grand promo and then I think if you gave this give the same take next week I think you're gonna have a point I just don't think you have a point this week okay it it just felt like a shorter version of the of of the similar type of promo he's given to me that that's what it felt and look we'll we'll see what happens next week if 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 he does this next week I don't want to repeat everything I said here but well, you're gonna have to because then I, you're gonna I, be I just, right <laughs> so I want to I I want to see more of an edge. To Cody now, not yes, just, not just you know, you know what he's been doing. I, I would like to see that as well. Also, it's kind of weird that like, if you remember, I think it was the go home to WrestleMania backlash, or maybe it was two weeks before WrestleMania backlash. Rollins pushed Cody off the top rope outside, and he sold the knee, but then the knee never wasn't yep. injured, and now yep. they're doing it again. So I, I don't know if like, look. Maybe I I hate to kind of think this way and I don't want to put this out in the universe. Maybe they do a knee injury storyline and Rollins beats him at Hell in a Cell and they do a fourth match at Money in the Bank. And that's the reason for it. Uh, I have to believe both of these guys are going to be in the Money in the Bank match. So I, I don't think that's the case, but I just don't see why they keep going with the knee injury for Cody when they don't sell it, like when they don't make it a thing. Maybe they will at this pay-per-view. Maybe they won't. It was noticeable to me that he did the same move, got injured the same way. Yeah. And this time also, he's like, yeah, no, it's it's okay. Like, like he comes out of the training room and is like, yeah, no, it's yeah, fine. Yeah. It's, it's okay. That, that, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. I didn't want him to be fine. I want him to be hurt. I right, he should be, be hurt. Fine. Exactly. It's pissed off. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, let's move on. Uh, on SmackDown, we had Shinsuke Nakamura against Sami Zayn. Cole made a huge deal about McAfee doing something during Shinsuke's entrance, but the cameras never cut to him. <laughs> so I presume he was dancing on his chair or the announce table, but it was so strange that like they were talking about it for 45 seconds and never showed whatever it was. Anyway, uh, Nakamura stared down the bloodline as he uh, entered, as they exited simultaneously. I thought it was just strange that like that there wasn't more to that. And given Zayn was wearing a bloodline shirt, it probably would have made more sense for him to interact with the bloodline on his entrance rather than Nakamura do it. Anyway. Uh, Zayn dumped Nakamura off the ropes outside in a really rough looking spot. Shinsuke later came back with his sliding powerbomb and a flying knee to the back of the head for a near fall. Zayn again ran away from Nakamura and baited him into a blue thunderbomb at ringside. Shinsuke made the count at 9.5. Nakamura reversed Zayn into the ring post and threw him over the barricade. Zayn made the count himself at 9.5, but immediately ate Kinshasa to take the loss in 10 minutes. I thought this was a super fun match with a fantastic finish. I really loved the way they booked this and executed it. 
incredibly well done to call back to the countout finish twice and then have it bite Zane in the ass at the end when Nakamura takes his methodology and uses it against him. Hopefully this ends the short storyline. I do not want another rematch with these guys, but it was well done. 3.75 stars, B plus, and an obvious good. Yep, definitely good. Really enjoyed it. These two have a great chemistry together going all the way back to that NXT match when Nakamura first showed up. Um, match was laid out. It was nice to see Sami Zayn do a match and not just run away. It's kind of what I was expecting. So yeah, and then they get about 10 minutes. I, w- I was pleasantly surprised by all of this and uh, with without a doubt a good. Yeah, what I really like recently um, with Sami Zayn is that not only is he wrestling, but they're giving him an opportunity to like stay in the ring for a long time since the Drew McIntyre feud I'm talking about uh, and and actually put on some really good entertaining matches. Sami's a great wrestler. For a while, he was injured. Um, you know, he had come back from that shoulder injury. They were being really careful with him. Did a lot of non-wrestling stuff. To see him back wrestling like most weeks now, it's refreshing. And of course, he's a great wrestler. So it's always cool to see him in the ring. So let's move back to Raw. Becky Lynch ran in wearing the puffy shirt from Seinfeld and bumped into Dana Brooke, who was talking to Adam Pierce. Lynch told Pierce to strike the Asuka match from the record and put her in a title match. He said no, but decided to give her a rematch with a chance to join it as a triple threat if she wins. Asuka later made fun of Becky uh, for like crying last week and said she was going to turn her from big time Bex into big time baby. Typically great Asuka promo. Uh, But this was WWE booking 101. Like the rematch on its own was absurd. You knew before we even got to the match that we'd get unnecessary 50-50 booking somehow. I will admit, I popped for the puffy shirt. I popped for Asuka's promo. And I love that Becky had streaks of green in her hair still from the mist. She's always so good at little touches like that. But despite me loving Asuka, loving Becky Lynch, and loving Bianca Belair, which I legitimately do, I just was not excited for the main event. Uh, I also, yes, popped for the puffy shirt without a doubt. Loved it. Loved the green, little bit of green in there to to sell it some more. Really great stuff. Look, it was going to be Becky Lynch versus Asuka, and we know they have great chemistry, so I was looking forward to the main event. But the concept of the match was essentially a contender's contender's match. Because you got to beat the number one contender to basically become a number yes. one contender yourself. Yes. It, it was like a step below the champions contender contender match to a contender contender match. And you kind of figured Becky was going to get it back. So I wasn't, it wasn't much of a mystery, but I was still excited for the main event because it's Becky Lynch and Oscar. I just wasn't. Cause I mean, last week it was a good match. Not great. They did that in difficult circumstances. So it was actually impressive what they were yeah. able to do this week. They had time and I'll go through it with you. So we got Oscar Lynch. It was the main event again. By the way, the women have main evented Raw four weeks in a row. Just should note that. Uh, that that is that is very that is very notable. Yeah. I want to just give that a hey, that's happened. Yeah, I did not yeah. even realize that, and that is a tremendous credit to the women in the company who are really good at their jobs and WWE for promoting them. Absolutely. And we talk about every week about AEW and the way that they book the women. And I think you made the comment last week of if you're Sasha and Naomi and the options there. What exactly do you want to go to AEW for compared to where women are presented in WWE? The, the grass fair. just is not greener. Like you can have problems with the way WWE books you personally or, or certain things, but you can't look over there and say that anything's better. It's just not like none of the women yeah. that have gone from WWE over there are being booked better. I mean, maybe Tony Storm right now, finally, like just like because she just got there. But there's there's just 
There's really nothing praiseworthy about that women's division and nothing that if you have problems with what WWE is doing, where you look over there and say, oh, they're doing it better. I'll be happier there. I, I, you, you, you can have problems with the WWE women's tag team division not even existing while also crediting the company for main eventing four straight Raws with, with the women. So anyway, on to the match. Uh, Asuka fought Lynch and the main event. Uh, Belair sat ringside. The crowd was quiet until it randomly started doing loud, like dual chants for them late. Asuka hit a violent German suplex. Lynch failed to cheat uh, on uh, pinfall using the ropes. Asuka caught her flying with a code breaker for a near fall before Lynch rolled out of an armbar and Asuka got another 2.5 off a superplex. Becky dodged the hip attack and locked in disarmor on the ropes. Asuka caught her leg for a dragon screw and then did a hip attack outside. Becky fell into Bianca's lap after getting kicked. Asuka then went to attack because she was prone, but she accidentally hit Belair with a roundhouse kick that knocked her out cold. Really good sell from Bianca on that. Uh, then she uh, beat the 10 count into the ring only for Lynch to really sloppily catch her in a pinning combination. Asuka was like laying there for a minute doing nothing, uh, but she caught her in a pinning combination for the win. Asuka hadn't taken any pain or punishment and one of her shoulders wasn't even covered, but she still got the one, two, three. So yeah, we got the 50-50 booking we expected for no reason whatsoever. We could have gotten Belair, Asuka with Lynch involvement at Hell in a Cell. I don't really see what the problem would have been there. Then you save the triple threat for a stadium show, Money in the Bank, which is where it deserves to be. Instead, Belair's probably just going to pin Asuka at Hell in a Cell. It seems like we're probably never going to get Lynch, Asuka in a non-title pay-per-view match, which is what we thought was going to happen. It's why I got so excited that she returned that way and they were building it. And I just assume now at this point that we're going to get Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch again at SummerSlam, a rematch one year later. So as I said, I love all three of these women. Obviously, this storyline is a victim of circumstance, given the Sasha and Naomi situation. This was not planned for this pay-per-view. I presume that they were going to do Becky and Asuka one-on-one, either at Hell in a Cell or Money in the Bank. So we can only really blame WWE so much here. It's not their fault that they had to change because people walked out. But given a full week, they could have done far better here. It was way too predictable and not in a good way. Like I said, I want this triple threat just not on this show, not this quickly. So I do have to say it was bad and perhaps even worse than that. It was kind of boring. There were good and bad parts. The the Bianca involvement, the kick, the sell, that worked. But the sloppiness of the finish, it it was tough to overlook. There's no doubt about it. Um, I'm really torn between good and bad here. I'll probably just lean slightly bad because it was pretty sloppy, um, which which surprised me, honestly. Um, Absolutely surprising, yeah. The As for the booking, you know, I, I'm assuming WWE didn't want to do Bianca Asuka one-on-one on a pay-per-view. And so you have Asuka win, you have Becky cheat her way to get into the match as opposed to doing it the reverse. Makes sense. And, you know, Bianca, Bianca, Becky at SummerSlam, I I guess makes sense. I I mean, you'd like to see a little bit more for Asuka, but I still think this is going to be a good match, the triple threat match, especially looking at the rest of the card. This at the moment, the main event. Yeah, this is the main event of the card, without a doubt. Well, well, so, uh, Cody Rhodes and and Seth Rollins inside the signature, yeah, pay per view structure that could main event also. Yeah, in that's fact, true. That's it, true. in fact, I think it will. 
now that I think yeah, that, that's probably right. Actually, yeah. you're right. You're right. I take that back. Um, but there's no other title matches on the show. But but with <laughs> yes, but with but it's Again. not a deep card. We're not expecting much on the card. This will be a premier match on the card. I'm okay with with this. Like, it's it's a it's a triple threat. I think it's going to be a good match. I love everybody involved. Like, I I much prefer that to six man tag matches with nothing on the line that we got a backlash. So it's going to be it's going to be a great match. I, I have yeah. no doubt that it's going to be a great match at Hell in a Cell. It's just they did a really admirable job last week figuring out what to do, and then it just felt like they shoehorned Becky Lynch into this where she just got off feuding with Bianca Belair for. I I don't know what seven months eight months like well look look like I, I like we know the plan was for Na presumably the plan was for Naomi to be in the main event yeah but you can it, but, but you can keep Becky out of this you have your challenger but, uh, I'm, but I'm, I'm look I I, I Bianca versus Oscar it's face versus face so what WWE just typically does not do that uh, that's fine and I I don't think they really love that idea so look I would personally love a Bianca Oscar match. I can just also see why WWE went the way it did. I, yeah. I guess if you're saying, I mean, Naomi is technically a face too. I guess that was going to be face face. That's what I'm saying. There. So, like, I, so. I, I totally understand why WWE did this. I get it. Especially again, they're not going to have their world champion on the show. Put Becky Lynch on the show. She's a huge name. Yeah. And, and yeah. again, the plan probably was Becky Asuka won here with uh, Bianca Belair and Naomi. And then Becky Asuka two, probably at Money in the Bank. Most likely, right? Or maybe... They were going to be in the Money in the Bank match, and then we'd get Becky Asuka too at SummerSlam. So these, again, it wasn't WWE's fault that they had to change plans. But given they did, it just feels like you're throwing Becky after one month away from Bianca right back into a feud with Bianca where Belair beat her. It was a huge moment at WrestleMania. That should have been the culmination. End of story. That's it. Save it. Even if they Mm -hmm. wanted to do a, a Becky... Bianca rematch at SummerSlam one year later, tell that story. There at least would have been three months between those things. Now there's not. That's Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, you know, when I think back to like the Attitude Era, like 2000, 2001-ish, when you had Rock versus Triple H seemingly in some sort of combination month after month. And it's like, if you if you got two megastars there, I, 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 I get doing it. You want to include Becky on the show. And look, Asuka did win via kind of cheating last week that was the case sure. that becky had to get the opportunity to get so i appreciate she did have a legitimate story case, yes and, and that, that was important like it wasn't just they decided oh they just came up with a reason to put becky in the match no she had a fair case so i i can i can respect the effort that they put into it but overall you know you know becky bianca again oscar i get what you're saying I, i'm okay with it but I get what you're saying. It was just, it was 50-50 booking with neither of them really getting a clean win over the other. Not that they should have. You know, I, I, again, I agree with, like, I, I totally understand what WWE did here. I'm just saying, for me, it's not ideal. I wish they would have conceptualized it better. Sure. And, ex- and executed it better also on this Monday. Sure. Day. All right, let's move on. we got one other big kind of topic, and then hopefully we should do lightning round on the way out of here. But the bigger topic, Judgment Day, Chris. I think it finally figured itself out. It got its entrance worked out, that's for sure. Uh, Damian mm-hmm. Priest did cut a meandering promo that was kind of boring, but then Rhea Ripley grabbed the mic, told Liv Morgan to stop listening to Twitter and her fans, and Ripley said she would even forgive her if she saved herself like Ripley did by joining Judgment Day. Edge said Judgment Day was an opportunity for anyone in WWE to recreate themselves and save their careers under his learning tree. 
because he wasn't handpicked for this spot like John Cena was. He said everyone else was sheeple, but with Judgment Day, you can break through that glass ceiling. Edge asked who was next. He named Tommaso Ciampa, using his full name, by the way, Corey Graves randomly, <laughs> Alexa Bliss, Drew McIntyre, Liv Morgan, Finn Balor, and AJ Styles all as options. Edge then focused on Styles. It was, I thought, easily Edge's best promo since the start of Judgment Day and the best presentation of the group that we've gotten yet. The mission finally makes complete sense. This like tied the bow on what they pretty much said last week. Everyone has their defined roles. I am now all in with it and I'm legitimately curious to see who's next. So I'm going to separate this from the matches or the match that we got, but I'm saying this was good. Definitely a good. This got back to what I talked about last week, which was too much talking about the fans, not enough talking about the locker room, the other wrestlers. This, like you said, the whole point was to say, hey, other wrestlers, come and join us. You're going to want to come do this. Here are some people who could do it. That's a great story. That 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 creates that natural mystery of, hey, who who is it going to be? Like, clearly, they're going to keep adding people. That's the fun of, of, of large factions where you never know who could who could join it the next day that's exciting stuff so i i was super into it i did uh i did find it uh notable i don't remember if it was edge or Rhea who said this but they basically blasted wrestlers who just do what they're told <laughs> i can only think of i can only think of well i guess there are two wrestlers who did who wouldn't do what they're told true and, uh, yeah and they're not involved in the company right now. So I don't know if that was a, just an accident or what, but my mind immediately went to that. Yeah, that's probably coincidental, uh, but that is funny. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought that was funny. Um, and then we'll get into the match here. But the only thing I was going to say leading up to this is that I really don't like the beginning of Liv Morgan's music because it's like that slow ticking clock thing or like, or like a wind up box or something like that. And it just, it's not energetic. It sucks away energy. Hmm. It, it, and, and so like they give this promo and then you get the dun, 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 and it just, it's not like a boom, Liv Morgan's here. Oh, I'm interested. It should start with, because it does the ticking clock and then it goes, watch me. And then it's like upbeat music. It should just start with the watch me. Yeah, I, think. I agree with that. Lit, little thing, but like, I've just, I've never, they, they keep changing Liv Morgan's music, but keeping that beginning and I just, I, I don't like it. I just want to say that. Fair enough. Uh, so we had Styles and Morgan against Priest and Ripley. Styles helped Morgan into a Hurricanrana. Liv then hit a really rough Tope Suicida. Styles got his face dropped on the ring apron. He later hit a Pele kick with Morgan getting the hot tag and running through Ripley. Edge put Ripley's foot on the bottom rope after a springing codebreaker for Morgan uh, to stop the count. Styles attacked Edge outside, but Edge held Ripley by the belt as Morgan tried Oblivion. The referee couldn't see it. That allowed Ripley to fold her over for the win in about 13 minutes. Edge then talked trash to Liv after the bell. Styles kind of saved her, then got beaten down two-on-one by the guys, and he ate a high-low spear to end it. Morgan then ate a riptide as the segment concluded. This was all fine. Decent match, not great, uh, but I loved the finish. Getting the heels over without it being clean, Edge grabbing the belt, that was a really unique way to counter Oblivion. I was confused as to why Finn Balor didn't come out with them and never made the save. Now, I presume he just wasn't at Raw, probably because he had some other personal thing or whatever, so he couldn't be there. But Edge mentioned him in the promo, so it's not like he was being ignored. But it was so strange, given that they've formed this trio, to have them out there with no backup and just get their asses kicked. So it was good overall. But the beatdown kind of rang hollow because it really shouldn't have been, there, there shouldn't have been a situation for it to happen. I would have just, I would have just had Edge note when when mentioning Finn Balor, 
uh, say like, he's not here tonight, but Finn Balor. And just so like people know he's not here. So that way, because whenever you have a beatdown in wrestling, half your mind is always just like, who's going to come who's out? Gonna, who's yeah. who's going to come save him? Like, that's always the thing. And so you're kind of, you're just, you're not fully into what the, the Judgment Day was doing with the beatdown because you're waiting for Finn, you're waiting for Finn. And then it's over and you're like, oh, okay. So I, if, if you just maybe telegraph that he wasn't there, because otherwise we're just sitting here saying, hey, where was Finn? Why didn't he save them? And look, maybe, maybe that's part of the story. Maybe he joins the Judgment Day and we find out that he, they were like, hey, why didn't you save us? Oh, I'm sorry, I got tied up, you know, and then we turned out, we, we find out Finn does join them. So, so maybe it's the start of a story. That'd be cool. But uh, in the moment, that was a reaction. Yeah, I really hope Finn Balor does not join Judgment Day. Uh, and I also love that you said every single time Judgment Day, not the Judgment Day, even though you tried to ah, call me out shoot. on Twitter for it. But I, I got you. But I got it. you here on the podcast where it counts. So I blew it. As Chris Jericho would say, GFY. And no, I will never say that again. I promise. It's the last time I ever say that. Uh, OK, moving back to SmackDown. Uh, Xavier Woods fought Butch. Woods said he's flying solo on, on that show Friday and challenged Butch to do the same uh, to try to beat him without Sheamus and Rich Holland at his side. The Eastie boys are now formally called the Brawling Brutes. Not great, not bad, whatever. Uh, Woods hit the honor roll for a near fall. Butch draped him over the top rope and hit a ton of boots to the face, but missed a flying stomp. Butch countered the step through DDT with a punch and pounded on the back of his head. The referee separated them. And when Butch came back for more, Xavier beat him with Backwoods in three minutes and 30 seconds. Butch got angry and left through the crowd again. Sheamus and Holland distracted Xavier with clubs as Butch attacked him from behind on the ramp. Backstage after the match, Wood said, this shit has to end. No shit. Thank yeah. Uh, Thank he, you. Said, he said Kofi Kingston would be back next week, and he had someone in mind to be their third to finally take these guys down for good. I was pretty livid after the bell, but at least we got a clear direction for this hopefully and finally coming to an end next week. This was the 10th time in the last 11 weeks that New Day or a member of New Day <laughs> fought the Brutes or a member of the Brutes. This was the third time that Woods and Butch fought each other in seven weeks, and it was their shortest and worst match by a mile. Both of their other matches were actually good. So unless this third man is a legitimate surprise, this should have ended with the tables match. I'm expecting it to be Drew McIntyre, given the connection, of course, with Sheamus. Everyone here needs to move on. This was bad on Friday, Maybe it will be okay next week and wrap itself up. A three minute and 30 second match. I mean, you had Butch beat Kofi, but then he gets rolled up or, or you know, caught in the um, backwoods, the inside cradle by Xavier Woods in three minutes and 30 seconds. You can't let these guys wrestle for eight minutes and then do that finish. I, I am so freaking done with this. So next week, I'm going to be positive going in, but this week it was bad. I said last week I didn't have anything to say because I didn't care about this anymore. It's the same thing this week. Um, I am looking forward to see who the third man is just because, shit, it's something. But, like, God, I, I, I'm so tired of this. Also, uh, Xavier Woods entering with the New Day theme and not the King Woods theme. I miss that theme. Yeah, I know I he's not it. technically King Woods. I don't get but it. It's a good theme. Like, should have stuck with it. So, I don't know. This is, this is a waste of time. Yeah, I, I don't understand why he wouldn't go in with his own theme when he's by himself. It just doesn't make sense. All right. Anyway, still on SmackDown, uh, Gunther fought Drew Gulak. Not sure if this was a new element, but there was some like deep bass tones that were played during Gunther's introduction while, um, what's his name? 
Marcel Barkel. Kaiser, Kaiser Wilhelm. <laughs> I think is his Ludwig name Kaiser. Ludwig Kaiser. Ludwig uh, while Kaiser. Lud yeah. While Ludwig Kaiser did the introduction, and it definitely gave it like a more menacing feel and a better presentation. Yes. So they yes. did improve that. I will give him credit for that. Uh, Gunther obviously ran through Gulak and won with a powerbomb. He locked in a Boston Crab after the bell as Gulak screamed and Kaiser taunted him. Ricochet then ran down for the save, but Gunther and Kaiser calmly walked out. Given the lack of depth on the roster, Gunther beating Ricochet for the Intercontinental title, it has seemed like the obvious thing that's going to happen. And he really could elevate the title because he's that dominant. So that's great. But for Ricochet to come into this feud where you know he's going to lose to Gunther if this is what they do and have, again, defended against nobody, not been on any pay-per-views. I don't think the IC title has been on a pay-per-view for a year at this point or so. True. Had basically no feuds of consequence. I think he defended it against Sami Zayn because he wanted a rematch. And then Jinder Mahal and Shanky are the people that have challenged for this title. I know this is not a deep roster. There's enough people, though, on SmackDown, Butch, Sheamus, Kofi Kingston, Xavier Woods, Ridge Holland. There's enough people on the show where he could have had some decent Intercontinental Championship defenses, won some of those matches, and built up his profile rather than just beating nobody and just having a toy over his shoulder. So, you know, this was good in terms of Gunther and Drew Gulak. There was nothing wrong with this. And I really like the idea of Gunther being the guy to take the title off Ricochet because it doesn't hurt Ricochet. But at the same time, Ricochet has not been built up enough for this to nope. already be the feud. So I'm frustrated, but yes, I will say this was good. It was fine. I, I, I guess I'll give it a good. But to your point, by not building up Ricochet to help him, it therefore would mean less if Gunther wins the IC title. Like there, there are there are dual purposes to making wrestlers look good. It's because then when they lose, the guy who beats them looks even better. Gets that. Yes. Yeah. So this has been the problem with the Intercontinental title for years. Okay, Ricochet was a champion, but he didn't beat anybody. So when, if Gunther wins it, then what, what does it really mean? Like, you, you got to think longer term with these things. I, Yeah, I mean, you said it all there. So it, it was fine. It was good. It was kind of whatever. And, but, this, um, and the same thing's happening with Austin Theory. Like, he's mm -hmm, the champion, exactly, but he's not exactly. fighting anybody. So what does it matter? You know, like... You, wins matter. Wins, win, you, you say wins or losses don't matter. You know what doesn't matter? Not defending your championship. Agreed. That's worse than any of it. I don't care. I, you know, I, I do like the general idea that wins and losses matter. I don't need them to be kept track of necessarily, but I do need my eyes to tell me that someone's important. And the way my eyes yeah. and brain tell me that someone's important is by them winning and yes. getting and, and getting title defenses, successful ones where they win clean, not with roll-ups, but with finishing moves. There's yes, plenty wins. of people in this company that can get title matches and lose and put these champions over, and they just refuse to do it. Wins matter. You can make losses not matter, but wins matter. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, staying with SmackDown, LA Knight debuted on the main roster as Max Dupree. And, yes, thank you. And said that way and spelled with an I at the end. Uh, the CEO of Maximum Male Models. We did talk about this a couple of weeks ago that he's been doing this gimmick uh, on dark matches ahead of SmackDown, simply not as, I think he was doing it as LA Knight or they never said his name, whatever the case. Anyway, Dupree told Adam Pierce that he was looking for superstars who could both headline Paris Fashion Week and WrestleMania. Pierce knew nothing about this. Dupree said Sonya Deville hired him. Uh, Pierce said that's problematic, but Dupree said he signed a contract. 
I mean, this guy cannot catch a break name-wise. Uh, LA Knight was awful. I said from the beginning the name. Max Dupree is not as bad necessarily, but it's not good either. Any name where the pronunciation is part of the gimmick is almost automatically a disaster long-term. Uh, one element I liked about this was he was a close talker, like in Seinfeld, yes, right yes. up in Pierce's face. I thought that was kind of funny. We've seen and talked about him doing the dark matches, as I mentioned earlier, but really Mace is the one he's been working with primarily. I think Mansoor as well. The people he should be working with are pretty deadly from NXT. They would mm. be the perfect tag team to mm-hmm. align with him as part of this group. And maybe they're going to get a quick call up. They do have a tag team title match soon. Maybe they drop him and get called up. I don't know. But this is the same take I had with Knight. I dislike the name, but I'm going to give the character a chance. Knight in NXT, he finally won me over when he turned babyface. And I really thought that character with the catchphrases was going to completely work on the main roster. So for him to get the call up, but have his entire gimmick change, it's actually disappointing, even though I hated that name. The debut, though, it was solid in terms of like the presentation. So I will give this a provisional good, but I'm not going to go anywhere beyond that because I want to see what he actually does on SmackDown. So I, I have always been a big Eli Drake, LA Knight, now Max Dupree fan. I remember I, ca- I caught him in Impact years ago and he just, he has a, a bit of a, he has a charisma to him. He has a bit of an electricity to him that I'm just, I'm paying attention when he's talking. He's a very, very good promo. And for those of you who don't listen to the NXT AW pod, I I was on there from time to time, but I would always say I like LA Knight and I think there's something there. It may not be working right now, but I, I really like him. Uh, Adam hated him with a passion from the beginning that he debuted. I did, but he and started I was right. to, but he start but he started to come around and when he flipped a bit it, it was it was the War Games match. Yep. When he cut a really good face promo with, with the group and then he turned face basically at that point and crowd was super into him. Yep. The stuff him and Grayson Waller did, NXT crowd was really into that. He is a really good promo face or heel. I think he can do a really good job. Mm-hmm. So this Max Dupree, I won't say it every time, but this Max Dupree bit, this 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 gimmick, it, it, it mattered to me that he said you can head I need people who can headline Paris Fashion Week and headline WrestleMania. Like if you're gonna have a weird gimmick, the wrestling still has to matter to you. Mm-hmm. And so I was glad to hear that line. And so I'm um I'm curious where this will go. I have confidence that. Eli Drake will get Max Dupree um, over somewhat. Not to the main event level. It's not that kind of gimmick. But I think it's something that people will be into. Uh, and he'll make work because he he I think he always does a good job of, of making things work. So I'm optimistic about it. This was this was a good, this was fine. There was not much there, obviously. I'm really interested in this moving forward. Yeah, it's it's a cautiously optimistic good, but I think he mm-hmm. needs like if it's if it's him, Mace and Mansoor. That's a low card stable. I mean, you got to get someone yeah. in there that can. Like, oh, if it's if it's if those are the people, yeah, for sure. That's what I'm saying. So you got to get someone in there. Him. Like you yeah. got to get someone in there that can move the needle and like pretty deadly from NXT would move the needle if they got mm-hmm. him got them together. I agree. Okay, uh, staying with SmackDown, we had Shotzi against Raquel Rodriguez. Shotzi and Aaliyah again argued backstage about Ronda Rousey's open challenge last week. Rodriguez walked up and Shotzi completely ran her down to her face, like. Shotzi tore Raquel Rodriguez a new asshole. 
It was probably <laughs> the most natural promo she's ever cut in WWE or NXT for that matter. Rodriguez said you're dead in Spanish and superstars were shown backstage watching. Uh, Rodriguez caught Shotzi trying a hurricanrana, threw her up into the air, into her arms and hit two fallaway slams. She added a corkscrew Vader bomb, elicited a pop from the crowd and hit the chingona bomb for the win in three minutes. Everything about this worked except the match length. Shotzi got to flash on the mic and in the ring, but it would have been nice for WWE to let them go six or seven minutes and really get Shotzi over in addition to Raquel. I presume the reason they didn't is because she basically went seven minutes with Ronda Rousey. So if she's going seven with the champion, how do you have her go as long with Shotzi? So because of that, I'm going to give them a little bit of a break. But WWE has a problem with only wanting one person to shine at a time, which is so Mm -hmm. frustrating. And it's a reason for the short matches. The way you book this is you do a really highly competitive match between both women. You have it go anywhere between seven or 10 minutes. Raquel wins. Shotzi impresses. Now Shotzi looks good in defeat and Raquel looks even better in victory. I'm going to say good despite the match time only because everything else about this was relatively perfect. And I just want to reiterate, Shotzi cut a great promo before this match. So get her more screen time, please. I hope that continues. And I love what they're doing with Raquel Rodriguez. Yes, two weeks in a row. Very good stuff with Raquel Rodriguez. Rodriguez. That's how you make a new big person, you know, type of character look strong. Love the Shotzi Aaliyah bickering backstage. Like I said last week, when there's an open challenge, there should be a bunch of people running to the front of the line and trying to get involved. And it makes sense that two of them would be upset that they cost each other that opportunity. So I liked it. And to your point about match length, that's what AEW typically does well with the men, not with the women. But you you give somebody like a CM Punk and John Silver a long enough match where both people look good coming out of it. And that just benefits everybody moving forward. But the point you said about Ronda Rousey going seven minutes, it, it makes sense. But overall, definitely a good, uh, been very surprised last two weeks with SmackDown in the women's division, or I think really moving things in a good direction. Yeah, almost being forced to do it, right? Um, not last week, this, <laughs> this week, this week they are. And it was kind of good to see them kind of get them out there. On Raw, we had Alexa Bliss versus Nikki Ash. Very similar like to this last match here. So Bliss finally got a chance to speak right after returning in gorilla position, which should have been in front of the crowd because you wanted the pop, but whatever. And she said she's basically been trying to stay out of trouble. She suggested that Sonya try therapy because it worked really well for her. Then she talked about Nikki being this weird superhero while she's best friends with the doll. The whole promo was tongue in cheek. And it was just nice to hear her talk like a normal person again, not be like possessed by the fiend and all the other bullshit they were doing. It was back to Alexa Bliss being Alexa Bliss. Nikki smacked away a handshake uh, before the bell or right after the bell. Bliss kind of hit like natural selection, then later kicked Nikki off the ropes and hit Twisted Bliss for the win in three minutes. Really short and lackluster match. Unlike the other match with Shotzi and Raquel, that match was actually entertaining. This was not entertaining at all. And we didn't even get a post-match angle with like Dewdrop being mad at Nikki again. Bliss, you know, saying something or cheering herself on in the back or someone giving her props. It was... The, the promo was quality, but this whole thing just felt like WWE was like, hey, we got four minutes. Let's throw the, them out on the show. So I'm going bad. This didn't get anyone over, um, but I'm glad that Bliss got to speak. Yes, that was what we needed from Alexa two weeks ago or last week or something. Good to finally get it. Just get some explanation after everything that character has been through over the past year plus. We needed it. Not the best, but it was something. And yeah, pretty lackluster otherwise. I'd probably give it a 
I, I give the promo a good. I give the match a bad because, yeah, I was waiting for something more out of it. And I guess not. Still don't really know what anybody's doing here. So we right. had uh, Ezekiel against Chad Gable. Otis tripped up Zeke and later clotheslined him on the ring apron. The referee ejected him after the second interference. Kevin Owens then got caught in the ring trying to interfere and got ejected as well. Zeke caught a distracted Gable in a pinning combination for the win in four minutes, ran into the crowd as Otis chased him. KO officially challenged Zeke at Hell in a Cell, and Zeke seemed to accept, uh, cheering with the fans. So they did a direct rematch from last week that was far worse in every possible way. Last week, I think I said, I believe this was Elias's Ezekiel's best match in WWE because it was with mm-hmm. Chad Gable and it was pretty exciting. KO last week was hilarious on commentary. This week, they had him screaming from ringside. Last week, we actually got a wrestling match. This week was try and fail comedy. They didn't even follow up on the DNA test. Gable said they were going to expose him this week. This was really, really bad across the board. Yeah, a a, a first bad for the Ezekiel stuff, honestly. I've enjoyed it every week. It's been funny. But this, like you said, they just tried to run run back exactly what they did without the fun stuff. And it wasn't good. Now, I will add, there, there, there have been some really good Ezekiel videos on the WWE YouTube page and, and social medias of him talking about his relationship with Elias. There was one last week about meeting Shawn Michaels and, and, and him and Elias together. And then this one, uh, it, it shows Ezekiel like sending a lot of text to Elias, but he says, you know, Elias doesn't text him back very often. He's not sure what he's up to. He says, people say, why didn't you grow out your beard? You'll look exactly like Elias. And he says, I can't. I've tried. I can't, I can't grow out a beard. So, like, they're adding some really fun intricacies to the Ezekiel character. Not but on it's TV, only though. on social media. Yeah. I, I really wish this would have been on TV because it's really good stuff. So, I highly recommend people checking that out because it's really funny. But uh, would like to see it on TV. I'm but sure. As for this uh, seg- segment on Raw, it's bad. I'm sure it is good. But, you know, just like with AEW, if if... I'm not going to give them credit for dark and elevation and BTE. I'm not giving WWE credit for social media bullshit. Like this shit has to yep. happen on TV. They, I would have rather done the funny stuff heard. I don't even know what it was. I haven't seen it, but whatever you're saying, if it was legitimately funny and good, I would have rather them taken time on raw and spent three or four minutes doing that than doing this. Rematch. Yep. It has, I, it, the, the, it was, it was put up. Uh, both of them are in the last 24 hours. It has, this video has 341,000 views. The match with Chad Gable has 220,000 views. So, so the digital only thing actually got more attention anyway. Despite so. not being on TV. Right. Exactly. Because it's Despite interesting. Because it's different. It's, it's fun. It's interesting. Yep. Right. It's not the same shit and a worse version of the same shit at that. That was the problem. Uh, we had an almighty challenge on Raw. Before Bobby Lashley spoke, WWE announced the fourth match between them at Hell in a Cell. Lashley got what chance before WWE sweetened the background with pipes and cheers. It was interesting. It was a show where the crowd was really quiet and they almost never sweetened the crowd, which made it seem even more quiet the entire show. But one instance that they did was here, getting cheers for Lashley. Lashley challenged yes. MVP to a singles match with the winner picking the stipulation. MVP talked shit. Lashley goaded him into accepting and avoided a sneak attack. Lashley really struggled on the mic here. They really did. Like I'm glad to know that WWE actually wanted Malcolm Bivens to come up and work with Omos. That way MVP could stay with Lashley. It's too bad he wouldn't do it. This would have been far better if he did. But yeah, Lashley is struggling without MVP. So we got Lashley versus MVP the match. MVP faked a knee injury to distract the referee so Omos could clothesline Lashley outside. MVP hit a boot and talked trash. Lashley caught him with a rough flatliner and did the helicopter outside into the post. 
Lashley threw MVP back into the ring, but got counted out as Omos distracted him. Lashley then got the hurt lock on MVP after the bell. So I thought, well, at least the heels won. Maybe we'll get an interesting stipulation. And WWE just announces on social media, not next week on Raw, on social media after Raw, that it's a handicap match. So now I don't oh, even I care about it. Hell in a Cell. I, I didn't see yeah. So, I mean, I get, I get the stipulation and I know MVP wants his revenge, but I don't give a shit about a handicap match. This was part of a horrible 40 minutes of Raw where there were three really bad matches with really bad finishes in succession. Another booking where if you're going to do this, then at least put Lashley over. Like just have Cody beat Miz, have Lashley beat MVP. I know they wanted the heel to pick the stipulation, but honestly, Lashley could have won and picked the exact same stipulation because he wanted revenge on MVP <laughs> and Omos. WWE has got to be more creative than this. This was really, really bad. I missed that. I, I didn't see the announcement of the stipulation. So uh, again, again, things that are going on social media that aren't going on the show. I'm just so tired of this. I'm done with Bobby Lashley Omos. Like four matches between these guys. How do you not end it with the cage match? Just, you know, it was look when it started, it was interesting. The first time they were face to face, you're like, oh shit, Omos is really his crowd over they Bobby loved Lashley. It. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. And, and look, the WrestleMania match, it was fine. Uh, the second match was fine like how are we still going with this though i'm i'm out of this i don't care about it anymore one other thing mvp and bobby lashley are the same height which i didn't realize i didn't really realize until they were face to face with each other in the ring i looked it up they're both listed as six foot three uh that doesn't make lashley look big yeah so it, it was it was um noticeable i just I, I don't i just i didn't like any of this stuff i'm i'm giving it a bad we also had King's Court with Veer Mahan on Raw. Veer unfortunately came out in ring gear. Jerry Lawler set it up saying Veer is a man of few words. Veer refused to answer the first two questions. Lawler insulted him twice. So Veer grabbed his arm and in a growling voice said he went after the Mysterios because they're weak. He sniffed Lawler and said he smelled fear. Then this guy who didn't want to talk wouldn't shut up. Veer stalked him. Uh, the Mysterios, Mysterios attacked. He got up on them. They kept him off the ring apron and there was basically a standoff. This was awful. WWE had a chance here by doing this segment to give Veer some depth. I've said it before. The guy looks like a million dollars wearing a suit. One of his move names is literally the million dollar arm, which they still haven't explained on TV, even though we know what it's all about. He is dapper as hell, legitimately for real. Instead, he comes out in ring gear, growling like a lion, not showing anything interesting. This was so typical 1980s foreign heel bullshit. Plus, why the hell did they need Jerry the King Lawler for this segment? I don't think they were in Memphis. So like, why the hell is King even there? You, you're telling me Corey Graves, you can't give him an in-ring segment and do like the same deal? I wrote bad initially for this. I'm changing it. I hated this with every passion of my being. It was ugly. Zero point zero. Zero. I was definitely zero, Mr. Glutarski. No, I, I, I went three because you interrupted I, in a second. I mixed it up. I, I mixed it up. I forgot. I forgot. This was this was so ugly. I, I the only reason I thought King was there was to get beat up and to get some heat on Veer. And they didn't even do that. So yeah. Why was Jerry the King Lawler there? Made no sense. 
Also, Jerry was being a dick to him, cutting all these jokes about him for, for just like, I was like, Jerry deserves to get beat up here. I'm not even going to be mad if, when Veer does this. And he, then he didn't even do it. This was, the whole thing made no sense. You could have done it the way you said it. Add some depth to Veer, do some other things. Instead, they just had Jerry cut some jokes on him, and then he didn't even get beat up for it. I just, whole thing was a complete mess. I didn't, there's nothing more to say about it. it, it it's been real bad. Yeah. And then lastly, Happy Corbin on SmackDown bragged about taking out Madcap Moss and stealing the Andre the Giant trophy. He then repeated himself three different times. He just said the same thing three different times before throwing the mic down. He took the trophy, chucked it against the steel steps three times, completely shattering it. Corbin is so much better than the booking that he gets. This wasn't the worst Mm -hmm. segment and Corbin delivered his promo decently well, but it was no better than bad. Yes, it, it was bad, but that was probably the best it could be. Uh, I haven't said this before, but I actually like the Happy Corbin theme. I think it's a good song. Um, I, I popped when he said he had a $12,000 hat. That was pretty funny. I, I like when Corbin said he got fined, but it didn't matter to him because he has so much money. It would matter to other people, but not him. And yeah, I ke- I keep it made me wonder like how good Corbin would be if he was in a serious type of feud not with a dude named Madcap Moss fighting over a trophy. Like if he legitimately got to be a real full-on heel you take seriously, like he used to in NXT, I could be really good at that. And so the trophy thing, the problem is that we, the trophy hasn't really been built up to mean anything. Oh, it's nothing. Other than what they tell us it means. Like if we had gotten weeks of, of Moss promos or, or or videos of him just like, at home with the trophy. Hey, he put it, he put it this spot in his house and it, it means so much to him. And he talks about over and over how much it means to him to finally get this. He's been working in wrestling for seven, eight years. This trophy, this trophy represents all the hard work he's put in. It just like do that for a few weeks and then you destroy it. Then it means something, but it doesn't mean anything, especially because whoever wins it always ended up in a feud over the trophy. Anyway, it's just, it's just a real missed opportunity. Like everything with Corbin, that's, half used for laughs and could have really used some depth. So it, it's a bad, I think Corbin did the best he could with it though. Well, they also missed an opportunity just like with kind of Veer to give depth to Veer to give depth to Corbin and Moss, right? Like, like mm-hmm. this should be all a catalyst for these guys to change their gimmicks for Moss to become Riddick Moss again and figure out something different for Corbin to become Baron Corbin again and, and figure out something different. Maybe go back to the lone wolf thing. Like, he, that lone wolf gimmick in NXT was great. His entrance was awesome. His music was awesome. Mm-hmm. Being able to say, look, I tried to team up with someone. They stabbed me in the back. They're a piece of shit. You know, I, I can't trust anyone. I am the lone wolf Baron Corbin. And like, go back to that next week. That's a great way to like develop someone's character and change them. Instead, it's just still happy Corbin and still Madcap Moss. And they're still feuding, except there's like a one or two week break because Moss hurt his neck in, in kayfabe. It's it's just bad. It's really, really, really bad. Uh, mm-hmm. By the way, Hell in a Cell is in 12 days. Let's wrap up on this. So next week are the go-home shows. Obviously, next week is going to be the uh, ultimate preview for Hell in a Cell on this podcast. There are four matches announced for this premium live event right now. All of them are from the Raw brand. And it seems like we're headed for another PLE without an Intercontinental, United States Championship m- matches, no World Championship match, Reigns does not have an opponent for the world title. We've already discussed the tag team titles. Ronda Rousey doesn't have a number one contender due to the Sasha Naomi situation. They could rectify that Friday if they want. 
We talked about WrestleMania backlash totally exceeding expectations earlier this show. And many WWE mm. PLEs uh, have exceeded expectations across the last couple of years. But this Hell in a Cell build, this card, it looks incredibly weak going into the go home next week. Yeah, it's not it's not a show I'm looking forward to, frankly. I, I, I mean, I'm going to watch it. Might have some good wrestling, but. Yeah, this is two shows in a row where they're really just treading water trying to get to the summer, and it's it's very, very obvious. And, and they're putting absolutely n- almost no effort into trying to make it interesting by doing what we said, maybe doing a, a one-off Roman Nakamura or, or something. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I just, uh, I still don't, I still don't get the strategy of watering down your non-stadium shows as a way to make the stadium shows bigger. I don't think that works. And also just endlessly repetitive TV on the way to it. Like mm-hmm. most weeks on this show, by the time we finish the good, the bad and the ugly, I'm actually surprised how many things I give good. And it's not so much that they're yep. great and that they're incredible, but they're not bad. Like, like the way I look at this segment is for something to be ugly, it really has to be terrible. Like, you know, it has to be offensive or um, just trash television. Bad is most things that aren't good and good is most things that aren't bad. Like it's just very like, it's very clear delineations for me. So most weeks, or many weeks, I should say, many weeks, we have a lot of goods on here just because I'm not going to trash something if it's not actually that offensive or if it's or if the wrestling's good, but the storyline's not, at least the wrestling was good. This is one of those weeks where the vast majority of what we just talked about was legitimately bad going across two shows where the only thing that actually stood out was this bloodline feud on SmackDown into Raw. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I just, again, I keep thinking if you just, if you had two world titles on top of what they're generally doing, I think it'd be okay. But it's 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 a mid-card show right now, mm-hmm. and this looks like it's going to be a mid-card pay-per-view. Yep. That is a great way to put it. And that is the way we will close out this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Before we get out of here, a reminder what's to come this week and next week here on Getting Over. This week, we will be back Thursday with your AEW Double or Nothing Ultimate Preview. Vintage Chris Vanini, the plan right now is that he will join me for that show. We will also talk about everything that goes down in NXT. Uh, I believe it may be the go-home show for In Your House uh, the following week. I need to double-check on that. But if it is, I'll do a little bit of a preview for uh, NXT In Your House as well. On Sunday, uh, you know, 90 minutes before Double or Nothing begins, we'll get you the exact time on Twitter this week, we will have a live AW Double or Nothing pre-show for free on Twitter Spaces. Be sure to follow us there at Getting Overcast. And then as soon as Double or Nothing goes off the air Sunday night, we will have an AEW Double or Nothing instant analysis podcast that you absolutely do not want to miss. Next week, same bat time, same bat channel. We will have a WWE Hell in a Cell Ultimate Preview. And then at the end of that week, of course, we will do the live show on Twitter Spaces ahead of Hell in a Cell and the Hell in a Cell Instant Analysis Podcast June 5th after that pay-per-view premium live event goes off the air. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast to join in on those live shows. And do not forget the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Also leave a review. Let everyone know why you love the show, why you listen, why you subscribe. Because we want more people to do the same. Thank you to Chris for joining me. 
for Vintage. This is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, leaving you today with three final words. Bye for now.